Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Kings and queens and lords and ladies rarely require wills because standard Westerosi inheritance laws cover the vast majority of scenarios. And even when the scenario isn't as straightforward as it might be, wills are still pretty rare. Many just don't want to do it. You see, some people don't want to face their own mortality or then they put it off and then it's too late or they just kind of lie to themselves and, and deny that it's necessary. It's not a very empathetic thing to do, especially to one's own family when you're supposed to take care of the people beneath you. You know, you're the head of the household. You're supposed to make sure things are good. And that's just not when you're alive. You're supposed to extend that to when you're gone. But a lot of people are kind of selfish and they don't care what happens when they're dead. When they're dead, like, doesn't matter what happens after that from a lot of people's perspectives. Let the living deal with the problems. That's the attitude many project or just default to or somewhere in between. A King Rob Stark's will is thus unusual simply by the fact that it exists at all. In a world where 60-year-olds delay this process, often until it's too late, it does indeed stand out when a 16-year-old writes one. But of course, there's so much more to it than rarity. One of the biggest questions we're set to take on is who knows what? Not just about the will and the contents of it, but where it is, who has it, who knows the contents, and who's aware of the confounding factors. Meaning, who knows that Arya, Bran, and Rickon are alive, or maybe just one or two of that group, and that Sansa's marriage was actually annulled. For example, confusingly, Littlefinger knows Sansa's situation quite well, but probably doesn't know Rob's will even exists, or if he does, doesn't know a whole lot about it. Bruce Bolton knows Bran and Rickon are alive. He's trying to conceal that and sort of retroactively make it true. But he likely doesn't know about Rob's will either. Howland Reed, on the other hand, probably does know about Rob's will and probably does know that Bran and Rickon and thus his own children survived the sack of Winterfell. But Howland Reed also likely knows the truth of John's real parentage. So that's a wrinkle. And John himself is no sure thing either. What will he do? How will he accept this? And how will it be impacted by the fact that he's been dead <laughs> for a while or a short while? I don't know how long yet, but that is a factor. His personality might change. What he values, what he thinks his duty is. Death might be out of a way or might be a way out of his Night's Watch vows. But it might also affect Rob's will. Are you eligible to be crowned if you're dead? I There's no really legal uh, <laughs> question that we can refer to real world stuff. Like there's no, there's nothing we can look at to compare the legality of dead people. It just doesn't really come up. We don't have a parallel for that. Another wrinkle is who will even know that he quote unquote died, you know? Yeah, yeah. There's all these other, it's so strange. Exactly. Like who knows John is dead? Like the way the show portrayed it, it was kind of just forgotten about. So I don't think we'll go, I don't think the books are going to do that, but they, that doesn't mean that everyone's going to be aware of what happened. It doesn't mean everyone knows that John is undead. One thing the show may have told us accurately is that John wanted to keep that on the down low. He wasn't actually broadcasting that and no one other people weren't either. So yeah, timing matters a lot. That's a great point. Uh, John wouldn't take the crown from one of his siblings, I don't think. 
but he might take it before learning that Rob drafted his will under false pretenses with regard to who was alive at the time, right? So if Sam were there, he could be like, actually, maybe this is a time for Sam to fess up and be like, actually, Brand's alive. But Sam's all the way down in Old Town. He can't, he's not part of this. Not to mention Stannis and the other Northern Lords. Some of them know about the will and some of them don't. Some of them might find out who might tell them. Beyond that, is it even valid? Will the kingdom of the North and rivers even be recognized? Will it matter in that sense? Well, I think it's going to matter, but the, you know, whether it, in terms of affecting the plot, but still, this is a question that has to be answered. Will the actual will be executed? So we have all those questions and more on this episode of History of Westeros podcast. Hello and welcome back, everybody. A little change of pace. We've been deep in Valar Reredus, Aegon's Conquest specifically. We've completed that phase of, of Fire and Blood. And so it's now it's time to do some of Song of Ice and Fire stuff. This very fun topic that I think a lot of you are looking forward to. Every Sunday, just about, we do a live stream at 3 p.m. Eastern on YouTube. And then afterwards, you can find the video still on YouTube or up on Spotify after it's been processed and edited. And you can find the audio as well anywhere you catch podcasts. And if you listen on Patreon, if you're if you subscribe there, you can get it without ads. Sean, what do you got to we got to drink today? And what is that shirt? I don't think I recognize that one. I think I've worn this before. This is uh, from Avatar: The Last Airbender, and uh, which, by the way, there's a lot of parallels to that story and some of the stuff we're talking about today. The the central character Aang is. Uh, set to inherit this position where he leads the different nations, but he doesn't really want the position. He's just a kid. Is he qualified to do it? Uh, also, okay. at the moment when he's supposed to take over, he is a fantastical element. He gets trapped in ice. And uh, when he gets released, the Fire Nation is attacking and he has to defend them all. So here we have, the, I don't know, the Ice Nation attack. Anyway, John Frozen. Anyway, there's a lot, a lot of little parallels if you uh, appreciate these. That's cool types of fantastic stories and political intrigue mixed up in it all. That's uh, last avatar or the avatar, of the last airbender. I'm highly recommend on multiple levels. Cool. Right on. Yeah. And my drink, by the way, is just good old Jojen paste. <laughs> <laughs> Somewhat appropriate. Jojen will come up in this episode. Certainly probably not paste, but Jojen living Jojen will. I've got my San Rixian North remember shirt on pretty, uh, pretty appropriate. Pretty for gruesome. Today. What's that? <laughs> pretty gruesome. Yeah, pretty gruesome. gruesome. It, it is have. A, it's a violent shirt, <laughs> but it's it's excellent art. So shout out to San Rixia and you can get a shirt not exactly like this because this gray isn't available, but you can get one in a different color over at uh, San Rixian's Threadless store. You know, I also wanted to say that I'm looking forward to this topic. I'm probably going to learn more than I contribute. Uh, this is one of the topics that I think sometimes, George, something that's kind of like easy to just kind of pass over. Mm -hmm. But then when you dig into it, like we do at History of Westeros, you realize, hold on, this is really crucial. This is the detail that's <laughs> yeah, easy to get yeah. lost in the weeds, but there's so much to it. And so, you know, I, I, I haven't dug into this topic before I'm aware of it as a thing, but I think it'll be really, I mean, just superficially, just reading the document that you wrote up, I've so stirred with questions and ideas about how things might go. Yeah, this is a, a fairly long document, longer, a little longer than average, not the longest we've ever had, but you know, it's, it's up there. And you can certainly ask questions if you've got them, send them to westroshistory at gmail.com. And you can always go to our website to check out all the things we've talked about recently. Anytime we mention a link or a sign up thing or anything like that, 
a different episode or one of our things like that, you can always go to our website and you can find anything we've mentioned. If you, if you don't remember what I said, historyofwesters.com is your way to catch back up. Also, shout out to our good friend, Nina, goodqueenally.tumblr.com, one L in Alley, of course. And the latest blog post over there she's got is a question on parallels between Damon II and Aegon VI, a.k.a. Young Griff, a.k.a. Fagon. And there are some parallels. And there's some things that they have different as well. Uh, I think Nina more leans towards they're not that similar, but there are some things. So check that post out. And of course, you'll hear a lot of her thoughts on this topic as well during the episode. We will, of course, have some episode mentions at the end that will relate to this one and the answer to this trivia question, which is who is the last person we see in possession of Rob's crown? The crown is, of course, a, a part of the kingdom. It's a, the crown was made to look like the old crowns of the north. And uh, yeah, who was the last person we see with it? Basically, what we know for sure to have happened or can be almost reasonably sure happened already is what we're going to start kind of a rundown of the events from there. We'll start the analysis. How We'll look at how various factions and individuals will react based on what they know and what we think their personality will drive them to do, what we think is pressing on them, what we think their their goals and motivations and, and honor might tell them to do. We'll be left with a lot of questions, of course. We can't answer everything. But this topic is tricky enough that just getting the right questions to focus on and to bring into better picture what to be looking for in the books later when you read the next book, you'll be a lot more prepared. Like a lot of our topics, you'll be you'll catch things that you might have otherwise missed. You'll be more on top of the events as things are passing. I always ask I always ask for extra feedback in advance uh, on topics. You know, those questions are something we always seek from y'all. I made a point to make sure to get lots of questions from y'all on this one because I know there would be a lot. So I posted in Facebook and Discord and of course on Patreon. So just in general, if you ever have wanted to participate more and ask questions, this would be a good time for that. Join up. Uh, shout out to our, our Facebook group mods as well. And if you think we missed something at the end, then let us know. That said, I don't want to be too contrarian, but uh, a, a challenge of this topic, I think, is keeping it focused to Rob's will because this mm, intertwines right. and feeds into so many other different topics and stories. It would be easy for us to go off on some big tangents. So we'll try to keep that reeled in. Yeah, I think mostly it, it touches on the Great Northern Conspiracy, the war in the North between Bolton and Stannis, and of course, everything to do with John. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but how, you know, how far in the future do we want to extract that? So you're right. It is a big issue. Uh, it also affects Sansa's plotline and Arya a little bit. The Stark succession crisis is something we'll cover separately, and that is probably the most relevant subtopic. It's all very loose, what you call a topic and what you don't. But Knowing George is probably going to affect things we haven't even thought of yet, too. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's definitely going to be some surprises. We just, just, just bank that. Even, you know, we can't speak to it, but yeah, there'll be surprises. <laughs> okay, so first, why will? When, when Rob is campaigning in the West, he takes an arrow wound while storming the crag the seat of House Westerly. It becomes a bit of a problem, the wound that is. He's forced to rest there a while in order to recover. While he's there, he learns that Theon has taken Winterfell, and like most everyone else, he falls for the ruse of the fake bodies, Bran and Rickon. And of course, he feels responsible for this. Theon is his was his kind of foster brother. He trusted Theon. It really blew up in his face. And of course, his job as a king of the North is he has to restore his home seat back to his himself. What kind of king doesn't, can he protect their home? That's a phrase that gets pointed out several times in the books, including by Rob himself. So Rob, already wounded and a bit sick, finds that out. 
Uh, and he then he hears it's Sansa. I forget which doesn't really matter. Around the same time, he hears it's Sansa, who of course comes after Brandon Rickon, has been forced to marry Tyrion. So that had actually already happened, but it's relevant because at first Brandon Rickon inheriting, well, that's fine. But now Sansa's first in the line of succession, which normally would have been fine, but she had just married a Lannister and that their plan, as Tywin stated, was to take the North through Tyrion and Sansa's children. So Rob, by putting, wanting to circumvent that possibility makes a lot of sense. Of course, you don't want to let Tywin have his way and let the Lannisters take the North. And of course, he doesn't know anything about Arya. We know Arya's alive. He doesn't, though. He hasn't heard a thing about her since she vanished. He assumes she's dead. This is a point of contention between him and his mother because she doesn't want to give up on her. In fact, once she turns to Lady Stoneheart, she's got confirmation that Arya is alive and is still searching for her now. So the three-way combination for Rob of his own mortality, his brother's death, and his sister marrying into the house of one of their mortal enemies, and his other sister being missing, I guess you could say that's a four-way combination, either way, creates a scenario where he needs to clarify who would come next. But this is all taking place under the shadow of Hoster Tully's funeral. So the succession of Riveron is playing out here. So it's another like, it's like right in front and center to him that that's happening. And the death of Balin Greyjoy has just happened. That actually is a boon to him, even though it doesn't play out that way. At the time, it seems like, oh, cool. The Ironborn, are, a lot of them are going to go home to settle the succession, which creates a better opening for us to retake the North. Now, this is partly because Balon didn't have a clear line of succession. So it's playing out in front of him. Like Rob's like, well, I don't want that to happen. You know, you say a three way, a three way combination, but it's like a five or six way combination. Yeah, yeah you're right. <laughs> I think I undercounted. <laughs> There's a lot of things. Like you say his own <laughs> mortality, of things. his own mortality is like, part of the combination but there's a lot of there's at least two pieces of that one he's been wounded two he's heading into more battles so yeah yes yeah and he leads from the front or sort of from the front so he's he takes particular dangers and yeah that's a great point uh, yeah it's more than three factors it's it's more like a half a dozen or even more <laughs> so there was every like warning light flashing a lot of reasons to do it not very many reasons not to he didn't have a lot of reasons to put it uh, put it aside or to wait although not no reasons uh, Nina adds he's in a perfect position to make a will because he's in a tricky position, both politically and dynastically. He, he has a wife. He wants to have kids. That's part of why he doesn't immediately write the will after all these things happens. He's got a little bit of time. He's attending Hoster's funeral. He's hanging out with Jane. They're having sex multiple times a day, trying to have a baby. Of course, we all know that her mom was given her uh, a abortion drugs basically or abortificant whatever the right word is non-fertility unfertility infertility drug yeah contraceptives basically so and telling her that they were the opposite so they kind of had hope they had reason to be optimistic but obviously it didn't happen so he had to go off to war without a pregnant wife and that's when he decides okay i gotta write a will and you can kind of guess he a was waiting to see if Jane would be pregnant and B didn't want to announce this in her presence. He didn't want to talk about his own mortality in front of his young wife and all that. He kind of, he didn't really want to talk about it in front of a lot of people. He, he kept it kind of on the down low in the first place. I think we talk about it a little more later in the document, but you don't necessarily, as a leader, trying to inspire confidence. <laughs> like, let's charge the battle. Do you guys have my will ready yet? Like, you guys should make some wills yeah. too. Uh, <laughs> like, hold on. Let me let me make a will first. Let me... <laughs> Did I sign that yet? Let me... <laughs> so, heading back into the war, he goes to the twins, right? This is making amends for marrying Jane, right? He has to make good on that. And... That's Edmure agreeing to sort of help Rob make amends by marrying a fray and, and that, that whole business. So 
he was trying to protect against a worst case scenario by writing a will. And that worst case scenario was actually waiting for him at the twins. Uh, he still hasn't written it when he less leaves for the twins, but he's left river run. And when he's on the road, he and Catelyn discuss it at old stones during her chapter. Then a little bit later at Hagsmire, the same chapter Hagmire, Hagsmire, by the way, that's where Chet is from of all people. <laughs> Chet Hagsmire, home of Chet and Rob's will. That's what they put on a sign there. You know, <laughs> he, he writes his will, uh, in sight of Catelyn, Ed Muir, Mage Mormont, Galbart Glover, Jason Malister, and Great John Umber. They all sign it as well. Counting Rob, which we don't have to count him, but we'll count him for now. Seven people, including him, that, that know the will's contents and sign it. But there's only a, one actual document, which is a separate question here. There's one actual physical copy of it, and then these seven people who know who who know the contents i guess there's an eighth because the maester who drafted it would know the maester of Hagsmire, which would be the maester for house nayland that's who rules Hagsmire. this guy would also know but this guy wasn't even on screen like i, I kind of doubt this guy's a factor like rob didn't write it himself we can be pretty sure lords and kings just don't do that they always have maesters write things for them but we never see this guy on screen or like he's not even referred to like he's not even in the room so i kind of doubt he matters but technically there's this other guy who knows so hmm. i can imagine there might even be a couple other people that know that uh yeah like that maester maybe that lord was even there maybe two maesters were there the maester might have told someone that's yeah. true lord nayland yeah that's true yeah it isn't like when they're in hagsmire there's no talk of being in some lord's hall or anything like that they're just there it's it's kind of in undescribed where they are you know <laughs> so i don't so it's part of why i don't think it matters yeah. because george didn't go to the didn't bother to describe it and it's not like one of the things where i think he was hiding something from us by not describing it because it's not like he didn't tell us where it was he just didn't go into a lot of detail i think it's noteworthy that and Nina points this out too that he was limited who was witness to it right and it makes sense he doesn't want to talk about yeah. it from his wife or his men but also the fact that at least six or seven people know. I bring this up a lot. There's a Benjamin Franklin quote. Three people can keep a secret if two of them are dead. So maybe at <laughs> yeah. this moment, he's picked out trustworthy leaders who understand the intent and how this needs to go. But when you flash forward a few months, it's hard to keep all this information under wraps, especially when he actually dies and maybe people need to know about it. I, th I think that there's enough people to keep it under wraps at this moment, but there's also a uh, few enough, but there's, enough that know that word can spread easily right and it's especially yeah. when we can think of a couple of people who might have also even known it's also a confounding factor that we don't know what level of secrecy rob wanted with this like he wanted at the same time he signs his will or has his will signed he's announcing his secret plan to retake moat kalen which involves subterfuge and definitely keeping things from being known he can't let a lot of people know what his plan is so it, it's all done under secrecy. But if it weren't for the plan, I don't know how secret the will would be. So I'm not really sure. Like, he didn't go about announcing Jon Snow is my heir. But I don't know what level of secrecy he wanted to keep on that. He might have wanted to keep it secret because Jon is maybe, like, exposed and maybe his enemies could go after him. Like, maybe he wanted to wait till the North was back in his hands before making it making that announcement. But it's, yeah, that's it's a yet another confounding factor. We don't know what level of secrecy he wanted to maintain and now what level of secrecy is being maintained because he's dead right i think i think the level of secrecy definitely increases once he's dead because there's people who are powerful that want to stop rob's will from being executed or would if they knew it even existed <laughs> so yeah it's 
like you said, Sean, Nina agrees that he doesn't want to add create panic by discussing this too much openly or putting that thought in people's minds. It's like, yeah, morale is a tricky thing. You don't want to like it's you don't want to give them something else to think about. Things are going pretty well. And but some things aren't, you know, you get this this tightrope walk of Rob's never lost a battle, but he lost the North. So, you know, the way his men feel about him is maybe a little at the time was. Yeah, it might not have taken much to, to lose a lot of morale, even though they, they felt good about it. So let's talk about how the plan actually starts to take action, right? They, they, this chapter, the sequence of chapters is basically the, the funeral for Hoster Tully. Then the next chapter is them leaving River Run, going on the road, and all this happens. Old Stones, Hagsmire, the signing of the will is the last thing in the chapter. And then the next Catlin chapter is the Red Wedding. So there's, it's, <laughs> you were asking me ahead of time, Sean, if this was, if this counted as part of the Red Wedding foreshadowing. And I think, it, yeah, I think it probably does. I mean, there's a lot of Red Wedding foreshadowing, but this, so it's almost like, well, some of it's not as explicit, but I think this counts. <laughs> and like, I think good foreshadowing, it isn't only foreshadowing. Like you just listed right. a dozen reasons why he would be motivated to write a will. So yeah, it's not like when he writes the will as a reader, you think, oh, well, he must be about to die now. You're like, oh, well, there's a lot of obvious reasons he would write a will. But then when he does die, you're like, oh, yeah, they're kind of setting that up with the whole will thing, weren't they? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's like, well, good or good thing you did that will just in time. <laughs> but yeah, like like true, like true. It's, it's different than the foreshadowing of like the drums pounding and the, the rainfall and and Grey Wind getting upset. And, and those things. that's like more there's nothing else that has to do with than foreshadowing the red one. that is strictly foreshadowing and tone setting but you're right the will is is much grander and affects far more things yeah <laughs> uh so the the plan was rob edmure cat and Graychon, four of the seven are going to the red wedding the plan was for cat to then go to seaguard after the wedding and stay there for safekeeping jane stays at river run catlin stays at seaguard as rob puts it you don't put all your treasures in one place, right? It's just as just as Brandon and Rick can separate because you don't want that two heirs to be in one place, especially in such danger. Rob was thinking similarly for his mother and his wife. So we'll come back to them because Rob is obviously killed. There's not much more to say about his knowledge. Cat becomes Stoneheart, which is a really, really tricky. Edmure and Great John are captured. So they're not dead. They're not out of it. They might get out and they have this knowledge. So we'll come back to them. But in the short term, they won't do anything because they're in captivity. So let's talk about Seaguard. Seaguard is really important. Jason Malister, one of the hidden badasses of the series, he goes home to Seaguard and Galbart and Galbart Glover and Mage Mormont, the other two main witnesses, go with him because they are part of Rob's plan to take back Moat Kalen, which is to each take a separate ship, sail into the neck with Rob's banner flying high so that Howland Reed and his people will see it contact them because they're going to hide and you, know, you won't find them, but they'll find you kind of deal in the neck and then let Howland know what the deal is. Say, hey, we're going to we're going to sneak an army through the neck and come around Moat Kalen and attack it from the north. So they won't see that coming. We're going to sneak through. You're going to show us some secret way through because presumably you have that and they probably do have that. But of course, this never happens because Rob's army never makes it that far. It's slaughtered at the twins. But Galbart and Mage, this, they're almost certainly got to the neck well before they got news of what happened at the Red Wedding. This is all happening at the same time. And their news isn't, doesn't travel that quickly. And there would be no reason for them to linger. They need to get there, get to the neck as fast as possible. Let Hal and Reed get going. Let him prepare. 
right? There, there's no reason to linger. So they they presumably make it into the neck. Now, Jason Malister, his son Patrick is taken captive at the wedding. Black Walder, who is a dangerous piece of work, brings Patrick to Seaguard, threatens to hang him. It's very similar to Edmure being threatened to hang out in front of River Run, except that <laughs> Blackfish is like, I know you won't do it. And he's right. Whereas Jason Malister's like, Black Walder will do it. So I better <laughs> surrender. And they're like, yeah, he would have done it. Yeah. So he's basically a prisoner in his own castle. Patrick and Jason Malister are locked in their own castle under Black Walder's guard, apparently. And so he's kind of a prisoner too. Now he's a prisoner in his own castle. He's probably got a little bit of flexibility to like maybe get a message out or do something here and there. It's not, he's not in a cell as far as we know. So there, that's a definitely a vector for the will to be exposed or a way for knowledge of it to get out. But he probably doesn't need to because Galbert and Mage probably got into the neck already. And he knows that he's like, okay, well, at least somebody got out with news of this. Uh, the neck. Okay, so let's talk about them for a second. Rob ordered them to go into the neck, and they brought false orders with them in case they're captured. Now, I don't think the false orders include a false copy of the will. I don't think they have a copy of the will with them at all. I'll come back to the physical document in a minute. I'll say real quick, it might confuse things by having a false will out there, but it might reveal things by having a real, like, there might be some value to having a fake will, too. I, mm, okay, yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's, we had enough weird questions and if-thens to go through. I don't want to get too caught up on it, but there is a precedent set for uh, uh, counterintelligence here. So yeah, you're right. That's po it is possible. That's true. Uh, he, which shows how much Rob was relying on these individuals to be the the truth tellers. Right. And we talk a little bit about it later on too. But I, I I just think about the idea of what all could be included in the will. Like we're mostly thinking about like yeah. who will be next in line to inherit as a Stark. But it might also include like giving some supplies to the North or at, at this point. Bolton hadn't betrayed them, but theoretically, if he had, it might say the Dreadfort goes to the Umbers now or something like that. But he might also include things that could be at least part of battle plans in a will. He might say, like, I want this person to take over the army. Hmm. This person's in charge of, like, Sansa's in charge of Winterfell, but she's not in charge of the army. Oh, yeah, Grant yeah, John's yeah. in charge of the army or whatever. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, there's definitely other stipulations and clauses he could have put in the will. We're going to go over in a little bit, we're going to go over what we are confident is in the will, but you're right to speculate on what else might be there. So that's a good, good call. Good said, Sean. And so the plan would have been, they tell Howland Reed and, and he maybe tells them some things he knows that's less sure. We'll come back to that as well. There's lots of come back to this is that I have just, just no way to not do that. And with this topic, <laughs> uh, it takes us in so many directions. So meanwhile, while they're there, presumably gathering intelligence, preparing to execute their plan of sneaking an army through, uh, well, they um, would learn about what happened at the Red Wedding. And, well, that would be a kick to the nards and a kick to the gut. They'd be like, oh, well, crap, what do we do now? Well, they know that they know what's in the will. Those two, at least among them, and maybe they've already told Howland Reed and maybe a few others. So why don't they just go to the wall and hand it to John and tell him? You know, why don't they just do that? It's been two books. Why hasn't that happened? We have not seen them. Galbert and Mage have not appeared <laughs> since they disappeared into the neck. I mean, technically, we're not actually even sure they made it, but uh, I'm going to assume they did. There's no good reason to assume they didn't. So that's curious. On the other hand, there's a lot of reasons why. Uh, more than one reason. So it's not even, uh, oh, it's this. No, there's 
there's a lot of reasons why they may not have gone yet. So that's one of the next topics we'll take on. The biggest one I can think of is it, it's just so far away. Maybe they did go, but it'd take a month or something to get there, right? Like, the wall is really far away. Yeah. And there's Boltons all over looking for Brandon Ricken and looking for other Northern loyalists. Yeah. It's not safe. It's it's not. And winter's coming, right? So Yeah. It's, it's a tough road. You're right. It isn't just far. It's a hard road. And there's dangers along the way. And what and and what would they do? Just put the crown on his head at the Night's Watch, like without an army to back his claim? Like that's suicide. They're killing him. And he, well, and he not to mention he's already dead. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> that's a whole nother wrinkle. But at this point, we're we're going through this chronologically. John hasn't been stabbed yet. So at this point, they wouldn't be like, oh well, well we can't even do that. He's dead. But he's not even Lord Commander at yeah. this point. Yeah, and we got to think about what these people would know at this time too. Even if he was Lord Commander, or had been right. stabbed, that information wouldn't have gotten to them yet. So probably wouldn't have gotten to them yet. But yeah, but like you said, it isn't hasn't even happened. He's <laughs> he's not even back from beyond the wall yet at this point. <laughs> but let's say they do leave uh, Greywater Watch to go to the north, and that's their plan. Yeah. Again, it's going to take them weeks to get there. So if along the way. John becomes Lord Commander, gets killed, and a raven is sent to Greywater Watch to let Hal and Reed know this happened, which might not be a top priority, right? But say it did. Okay, but they're weeks into the woods. They still don't know. How are they going to find that out until they get there? Well, here's the here's the other wrinkle. The, you can't send ravens to Greywater Watch. Because there's not a set place to go. Because yeah. it moves. <laughs> right. So that's a well, problem with communication in and out of the neck in the first place. So... Oof, yeah, very tricky. <laughs> Tough topic, this. Tough topic, this. So the North, uh, new claimants appear. That's a big reason for why they can't just hand the will to John and why people, the North won't just rise for him because what army is going to back this claim is a question that we can't really answer at this point, uh, although there are vectors to that later in the story. at the In the short term, right after Rob's murder, there's, there's nothing. And Roos begins his march home with bringing with him Jane Poole masquerading as Arya Stark. Meanwhile, St Stannis sneak attacks Mance. This is actually technically before Roos starts heading north, but they're pretty similar times. Stannis' attack on the walls right at the end of the book and Roos's march right after the Red Wedding, which is you know, two-thirds of the way, halfway through the book, something like that. So then Wyman Manderly begins his plot to restore Rickon. So you got all these things happening without knowledge of, presumably without knowledge of Rob's will. The one that is more, perhaps the most interesting of these is Wyman because he's actively trying to restore the Starks, whereas Stannis, he kind of wants the Starks there as long as they're on his side. And Bolton, of course, wants to wipe them out entirely. Another wrinkle is that Wyman's main plotter, the guy he's working with, is Robert Glover. I mean, apart from Davos, obviously, but before Davos is even brought in, it's Robert Glover and Robert is brother to Galbart, but there's no evidence they've been able to communicate with each other. Certainly getting a message into the neck, that's not happening. But maybe one came out. But Robit's like hiding at White Harbor. Like people don't know he's there. These claimants are all trying to keep their stuff secret. So they don't they don't necessarily have reached out to each other. For one thing, White Harbor looks like it it bent the knee. So they don't they don't necessarily know that he's on the up and up. His he's kept his allegiance secret. They don't necessarily know that. They they just think like everybody else, ah, oh, Wyman's not an option for us because it looks like he bent the knee, and that's that. So I will point out that if Wyman or the Glovers did become aware of the will, it probably doesn't change their plans much. They still have the same fundamental intention. It doesn't really matter to them if it's Rickon or John or whatever, just a Stark, not a Bolton, not a Frey, right? That, that's their yeah. underlying intent. So yes. 
there's obviously like wrinkles and questions to answer there, but I don't think their momentum will change based on Rob's will. If that makes sense. Agree. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Like Wyman Mandel isn't gonna be like, Oh no, if it's not Rick and we don't John, no, absolutely not. Like that. I don't think so. I think he's fine with it. Yeah. And he Stark is, is probably fine with them. Because you know, given who the Starks are, like it's possible that there would be some crappy Starks in the story we wouldn't want. But none of the Starks are like terrible people at this point in in the timeline. So yeah, uh, and and is it so interesting? None of them pretty much know what the others know. Uh, probably like there's the Wham and Manderley factor uh, faction, the Stannis Baratheon faction, the Roose Bolton faction, the faction in the Neck, and. The faction in the veil, which isn't really a Stark faction, except that it's Sansa is at the head of it, but it's Littlefinger kind of leading it. Now, we all know Sansa has a has some moves she could make later to get out from under Littlefinger's thumb. That's obviously not part of this story, this topic of Rob's will, but it's relevant in that Littlefinger is plotting to bring Sansa north to claim Winterfell, which Rob's will supersedes her claim at this point. And, and Littlefinger doesn't probably know about that. And he might try to... He might make some moves to try to undo the will or underwrite it or, or declare it not valid for various reasons. And we'll come back to what things could make it invalid. Unlike Wyman, right? Littlefinger finding about this right. will, it does disrupt his plans and he will actively fight to keep his plans going. Yeah. And you could say that by a few of the other characters too. Yeah. Yeah. It completely ruins Littlefinger's plans. Whereas for Wyman, it's a pivot to, oh, we got a different Stark. Oh, oh, Bran. Okay. Oh, Rick. Okay. Oh, Jon Snow. Oh, okay. Yeah. They're all good options, I, I think, you know? Yeah. So the I, I've called this next section the one will because there's only one physical copy of it. Uh, that one document, we know there's all these witnesses plus whoever they've told. Now, sworn words of certain lords has a lot of weight in Westeros, especially when multiple good and true people of good birth attest to some fact, right? That that matters in this world. But the signed document with everyone's work, you know, actual signatures on it carries way more weight. I mean, we, we know that do signed documents in some ways carry more weight in Westeros. In some ways, they carry less, right? You know, there's less legal protections around the enforcement of wills, but the written word can carry more weight as truth. Like, people are less likely to doubt the veracity of it, I think. You can't put too much stock in it, though, because, like, Cersei could just tear it up like she did to Robert's will. Yeah, she <laughs> What's his name? Exactly. Mac might just eat it. <laughs> Mac might just eat the contract. Yeah, you, someone might just eat this contract. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, the food at the Red Wedding was pretty bad, so maybe someone decided to eat the will instead. Yeah. That is another value to these people he had witnesses, is that that group, if that group together confirms it there's not a lot of people that would question it whether there's a written copy or not yeah especially another especially northerners yeah yeah that's a great right point. right yeah. the only people who would still question it after that group of seven confirmed it are people who just wouldn't believe it or care anyway right so there, that is mm. a certain value to having multiple different trustworthy witnesses um but it's another problem with half of them being dead or scattered or etc yeah or in prison yeah exactly so the will, again, I think so. I think the will is a tea guard. He wrote it at Hagsmire. There's not a lot of other places for it to go. It either went into the neck with Galbard and Mage, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense if they're trying to keep it in a safe place out of battle and out of the harm's way. Taking it to the twins doesn't make much sense because they were they knew they were going straight to battle against the Ironborn to retake the neck and it was going to be hard work. So bringing your will to battle makes very little sense. So I really don't think Rob just like kept it with him, you know? 
if he did, then it's gone. He brought it to the twins. They probably burned it. They found it or burned it. still in his pocket with his corpse. I don't know. But yeah, that seems very unlikely. I think most of y'all would agree, if not all. So I think it's likely at Seaguard, the one place of these immediate destinations where it should have been safe. The other, Everyone else was going into battle. So uh, that's, that seems fairly straightforward. It's possible they sent it back to Riverrun, but I don't know why they do that. And there's no mention of that either. So it also seems unlikely that it was destroyed just because... Like, why would George do that? There's a great narrative tension in having that document exist. If it's destroyed, then that tension is removed. So, yeah. So I think it's there. Sorry. I think that's also a reason why maybe we haven't gotten follow-up on a lot of this yet. Is George hasn't figured it out himself yet, right? It's entirely possible. He's given, Some of these smaller details, yeah. He's planted a lot of seeds around this way. He's got a lot of ways to cultivate this story. And he might need to determine himself how it's, certain parts are going to play out before he determines where Mage Mormont is or whether or not Helen Reed nodes and so on. So. Mm-hmm. Good point. Good point. And it's entirely possible the physical will won't matter itself. The attesting to it might matter. Like that comes up. It's This is one of the things that you're right. George just probably hasn't decided whether the physical will matters because it doesn't, it, it's not like a dead end one way or the other. We've got like good and true lords that can attest to the veracity. So that's, that's all we really need. But the document, I'd like to point out that the document would add to that, but it isn't necessary. Well, let's talk about what's actually in it. To start, there, there's maybe a little doubt, but I don't think so. Let's have the quote that describes what Rob seems to clarify with the will's contents right here. Quote, John is the only brother that remains to me. Should I die without issue? I want him to succeed me as king of the north. I'd hoped you would support my choice. I cannot, she said. In all else, Rob, in everything, but not in this, this folly. Do not ask it. I don't have to. I'm the king. Rob turned and walked off, Greywind bounding down from the tomb and loping after him. So, yeah, there's a chance Rob changed his mind or didn't actually write John down. I think it's super, super unlikely. The, 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 the person Catelyn mentioned was a cousin in the Vale, but there's no other mention of this cousin in the Vale. They're not named, which is a good clue that they're not relevant. <laughs> if he'd given a name to this character, that might be like, oh, this person has Stark blood. But Catelyn doesn't even know who it is. So, yeah, it's not very unlikely. There is another shred of doubt here. John might not trust Caitlin. He might be planning false information with her. You know, like she's betrayed him. People, you know, he, she's borderline a prisoner, you know. So uh, he he might want her to believe it's going to be John. Yeah. Even though he has some of the plan. I don't think that's likely, but I think it's something you got to at least consider. The problem is, who could it be? There's still the question of like possibly there just isn't another candidate. That's that's really there's just narrows it down to just John. Yeah. So why does Kat call it folly, though? She calls it folly because it legitimizes John, which she thinks in the long term could threaten their family. At first, she's pretty cruel about it, says, oh, you, th- you thought you could trust Theon, too. And look what happened. And Rob is like, that is really unfair, Mom. <laughs> and I got to agree with Rob. Grey Wind gives a little snarl at that moment, even. Yeah, <laughs> he does. He jumps up on the tomb and snarls at her because that's Rob's inner. Like, he says it calmly, but his direwolf feels his emotions. So that was not the most diplomatic thing to say, Catelyn. And the argument's also partly rooted in Arya, though, because... Rob has given up on Arya being alive, and Catelyn's like, you can't just pass over Arya, you know? She hasn't given up on her being alive, correctly. <laughs> you know, Cat's right about that one. And he was kind of tough right back to her. He's like, give up on it. You know, why, why can't you let go of Arya? He's accepted, and yeah. she hasn't, and it's frustrating, and it's yeah. sad, you know? And it's not a valid naming. Like, you can't name someone in your will that you don't 
know for sure is alive. Like it's bad. It's, it sucks to give up hope on your sister, but like for the, in his mind, he can get, he can say one thing or he, he can say one thing in his mind. He can believe there's hope for her, but he can't name her in his will. Like he doesn't even know where she is. Like what good is that? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Even if they believe that she's alive, they don't know where she is. So like, let's, like, how would that go down? He names her. And then everyone else like, Aria, the little girl. Okay. Where is she? You don't know where she is. Uh, yeah. How does that, that doesn't do what the will needs to do. And you can stipulate, like, oh, if Arya is found, she comes first. Like, he could have written that in the will. The problem with that is, if you write that in the will, you open yourself up to what Roose Bolton has done, which is to yeah. fake Arya. <laughs> <laughs> which, it's like, oh, yeah. Uh, that, like, he, that overrides the will, too, in a sense, if people believe it's her. Um, which they don't, but <laughs> Roose is holding a knife to their throat to not say that, <laughs> you know, if, uh, metaphorically. Now, Cat's... Uh, pivots her argument after Rob says, that's not fair. John is no Theon. And she says, okay, well, what about you can, okay, let's say you can trust John. What about John's children? Can John's children be trusted against whoever? It's like, well, against who? Like, who are we to, who are these people that John are you going to usurp? There is no, there are no Starks for John's line to fight against, right? They're, who are they going to usurp it from, right? <laughs> not now, but Caitlin's still thinking the future. She's assuming that that Rob and Jane will have kids. And so then that should be the correct lineage. But now John has a claim to maybe John wouldn't do that, but can you trust John's kids? And so, yeah, I I still think that she's worried too much. Yeah. I think that she just doesn't like John and she's stretching to find reasons to argue against it. I think that's even if there is some legitimacy to her arguments, they don't really matter in this moment of war and uncertainty and everything else. Deal with that stuff later. That's stuff for the next generation. What Rob's worried about right now. Cat is basically, you're right. Rob is, is, Cat is not acknowledging the bottom line. Like, what other choice is there? She's like the cousin in the veil. Like, that's not a good choice. That's not, you know, it that be accepted. Good, that's not a good choice at all. It's not like you're like, I don't trust, like, you don't trust John. Well, how do you trust this random person whose name you don't even know? <laughs> like, how do you trust them, you know? In a time of stability and peace, that might be good enough. What else do we do? I guess this cousin of veil, but in a time of war, you need same thing with art. You need someone who is yeah. not, I mean, never mind rallying the troops into war. You need them to physically be there, right? Like even his cousin of veil, yes. like, I mean, he <laughs> might not even be alive or might not get to Winterfell on time or might get assassinated if he's named or might not want it or all these other issues. Might not even still be alive at this point. Like she doesn't know that this person is still alive. Yeah. <laughs> but even if they were alive and got to Winterfell and people accepted the, the, the will, are they going to be a good leader in this time of war? Or are they going to roll over and say, all right, we'll kneel to the Lannisters. Like, there's too many problems with this. And and Caitlin is just throwing out these things to have too many problems just because she doesn't want it to be John. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you there. I think her bias is, is overwhelming her a little bit. She also just doesn't want to maybe accept some of what he's saying. And the, the bit about Arya is nagging at her as well. And so, but she's still basically right yeah, <laughs> for the wrong yeah. reasons. Because John and Rickon, I mean, Bran and Rickon are alive and, and Sansa's, you know, and Arya is too. There's, there isn't, it is not necessary to legitimize John because of that, but they don't know that. So given the information they have, Rob is right. In the, in, in a strictest sense, Kat is right. Now, she brings up the Blackfires, which is a, an interesting point. It's one of the first times the Blackfires are ever mentioned by name. It's like it's the second time the Blackfires are ever mentioned by name in the entire series. I think the first point was by Stannis talking with Davos a little while before that. And... She says, 
Yeah, but 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 frame it this way: What if all the Targaryens died out? If there were no Targaryens left and there were only Blackfires, well, then a tar- Blackfire claiming the throne seems pretty valid. That's a Targaryen blooded person. That's not that's not much different than Robert Baratheon claiming it. I mean, that's a he's a he's a descendant of the Targaryens indirectly. You know, this is the Baratheons are sort of a not a cadet branch of House Targaryen, but they've got the blood and Blackfires. That would be totally valid if there's no Star- Targaryens left. Pick a Blackfire. Same thing. This is basically what's here. It's like if there's no Starks left, well then let's go with a Snow with Stark blood. That seems like a, a better choice than some random cousin in the Vale that hasn't lived in the North and doesn't have Northern values and Rob doesn't personally trust things like that. So, but there's as we said, the document has to contain more than just a declaration of John as Rob's heir. It has to legitimize him, and that's Catelyn's bigger problem because just naming him as heir would be one thing, but it legitimizes his children too, any children he might have. So that's the problem. Now, let's compare this briefly to what Stannis offered John because it's not the same, even though it has a lot of the same items, right? John was offered Winterfell and the Stark name and Val. But it came with conditions. He had to burn the God's wood and accept Stannis as his king. So it had terms. This is a will. It's a declaration. John can't argue with it. It's not being offered to him. The king has said so. The problem is this king is in a kingdom that isn't necessarily valid. But that's let's let's say it is valid. I think John would accept it as valid because it's, it's his brother, the kingdom that falls under where the wall is, his family, all that. This is interesting to me about the legitimization is the one thing that John doesn't have a way out of. If Rob gives him the crown, he can abdicate to someone else. He can say, actually, it belongs to Bran or Rickon. You know, that's pretty straightforward. If uh, he's given Winterfell, same thing. He can just give that away. He can say, nope, I abdicate this to Sansa. I give this to Bran. I give this to Rickon. Or I relinquish my claim. Maybe they come first anyway. And the being put out of the Night's Watch, being let out of his vows is the other part of this. John could just retake the vows if he's so determined to keep them. You know, if he's like, nah, I'm just going to repeat my vows. I re-swear myself to the Night's Watch. But he can't do anything about the legitimization. He's John Stark if Rob says so, unless he just wants to reject Rob Stark's authority as a king, which I really don't think John will do. So that's, I think, an under discussed aspect of this is which things John can choose to not do and which things he just has no choice. And this is the only one, the legitimization. He's, if this will is executed in any way, John is John Stark. <laughs> According to Rob, of course, what happens if he finds out later that he's John Targaryen or I don't know, but again, that's a little bit, again, well, this is, this is part where we got to draw a line and keep ourselves within this topic because the Targaryen stuff will come later. And I'm not sure that it's going to make a huge difference whether he's a Snow or a Stark when that comes along. Because I don't think he's going to accept the name Targaryen either way. But again, let's not let's not go down that rabbit hole right now. You know, another little uh, tidbit to consider here, the idea of him retaking his vows, which I think in his scenario is more reasonable. But for example, Joffrey slash Cersei, whoever relieved Barristan from the Kingsguard, like, oh, you're... Mm. Don't worry about your vows. You, we relieve you of that. Well, Cabarrus is like, no, no, no. I'll retake my vows. I don't think that would. I don't think that puts him back in the Kingsguard just because he retakes his vows. You know. But you, well, the Kingsguard is not is an invite only. Right, thing, right. Whereas the Night's Watch is, do you like they don't? They'll take anyone. <laughs> there, there, there is a difference for sure. Yeah. Yeah, like he won't go back to being Lord Commander necessarily, <laughs> but uh, he would be. Yeah. And it is also another question. A lot of this is like sort of precedence. A lot of things like this type of. Thing or this exact thing has never happened before. So we got to look at other types of things like this, which Caitlin and Rob even talk about this, right? And 
because I think they point out. He says there is precedence for letting someone out of their vows. I am not aware of that. I don't know what example that is. I don't know of a person being let out of their Night's Watch vows. I assume Rob isn't just making that up because Catelyn doesn't even argue yeah. the point. So, Although, but we don't actually know what he's referring to. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember the details well enough because he might not have been specifically talking about the Night's Watch because they did reference, again, I might have some of the conversation jumbled, but he did reference Barristan being relieved of his vows. He was definitely talking about the Night's Watch though for that. I'm, I'm positive. So, so, um, cause he, he even spoke to how he, he even spoke to, if I offer them a hundred men to take John's place, they'll find a way to let him out of his vows. There's more precedent for that than there is for legitimization. He said, Oh, I thought he said there's more precedent for legitimization than for leaving someone of his vows. I thought I had it the other way around. No, no, mm -mm. no, that's what's, it's kind of odd, but yeah, I mean, someone correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure that's right. Um, which makes sense to me. Like, why would there be more precedent for, uh, I mean, it that kind of doesn't make sense. Like there should be more precedent for legitimization. We know of lots of legitimizations. Yeah. Um, but yeah, anyway, either way, they're both rare things. Yeah. Uh, asked a quick question. Can yes. we clarify Sean's point? Did he say he thinks John will choose to retake his night's watch vows? Is that what you said? I'm not necessarily saying I think he'll choose to do it, but I think just because he chooses to do it doesn't mean he'll it'll be accepted. It, it might st the night's watch might still be like, "Oh, that's nice, but you need to go lead the north now." Right? They might not I don't think that's the thing. I don't think the Night's Watch has ever refused someone's vows when they've come in. I don't know. I, I mean, if someone has an example, I'm all for it, but I don't yeah, I don't think that's something we need to worry about. Um, beggars can't be choosers kind of situation. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I, I'm aware of I mean, they took Jano's slint, so. <laughs> exactly. There's there's no example of them ever rejecting someone from the Night's Watch. I mean, of course, this is different. Someone that's that was released from their vows and came back. But but it would be it wouldn't just be that he wouldn't necessarily leave and come back later. He might just retake them immediately. But if he did leave and come back, that might be awkward. Yeah. So I don't know. It might be one of the things at the end of the series like he's or he gives his crown to Danny and he's like, well, I may as well retake the vows now that we've beaten the others. I don't, yeah. So I don't think it necessarily would be something that happens right away. And I don't think that he would necessarily want to either. It's just an interesting that he can't legitimate legitimization is something that he has no choice in. And this is, Nina says it's maybe shaky here. Like maybe that's not as, maybe Rob was exaggerating that case. And, and it's also interesting the order that this place is in. Now, normally legitimization, it, it is a bit of a gray area in where a legitimized person falls in the line of succession. Because if you would think that, okay, so you're a valid Stark, you're a full-blooded Stark now that, because of my decree. You're older than Brandon Rickon. Why doesn't, why don't they come first? Why doesn't he come first? Well, that's, that's not really how it usually works. It's like, they still acknowledge that he's not trueborn, even though he's a full Stark. There's still that like asterisk, even after legitimization. So typically the legitimized bastard still falls behind the other males but not behind the the women so i think which is exactly where rob was aiming for he's like well i need him to come in front of sansa so that sansa that doesn't go it doesn't go to the lannisters right but this is also maybe a little bit of a legal gray area because it's legitimization alone doesn't necessarily place john ahead of sansa it has to be the legitimization and then the naming of him as heir and it kind of has to be in that order to be done legally but i mean the there's no court of law that's going to be that precise with these things because no one can overrule like the king anyway from a legal perspective. Even if there was, as we've mentioned many times, it really comes down, especially when the claims are close in the first place, it comes down to who can back it up, who has more of an army or political power or religious power or whatever else that, that 
obviously, if everyone just like followed the letter of the law, Stannis would just be king and none of this would be an issue, right? Yeah. But it comes down to Renly had a bigger army or, you know, uh, the North is declare themselves kings. Like someone has to have enough might in one way or another to actually enforce whatever the law is. So I, I guess might and desire. So uh, yeah. I don't know who out there would be motivated enough to make sure it was Sansa before John, other than Littlefinger. And he might have enough power to, to push that angle. I, I don't know. I don't know. A lot of the power he has is contingent on Rob not being there or whatever. So it'll be interesting to see. But but I think it's worth noting some of these issues that were kind of, what's the word, uh, splitting hairs over. Mm-hmm. That detail of what the law or precedent is is less important than the reality of who's got the forces, you know. Yes, absolutely. And that's a big problem here. Like we said, Rob's like, I'll give them a hundred men and they'll let John out from death. Well, well, he's not where are those hundred men gonna come from now? Right? <laughs> like what army is he gonna draw that from? Like his army was annihilated. Uh he's not gonna I'm sure there's a hundred men out there, maybe, but they're not it's not as simple as it was before. And it's not necessarily what he even wrote in the will. He's like, well, he had to include, this is how I'm going to get John out of his vows. Like he's, he, he floated that idea while discussing it with Catelyn. That isn't necessarily what he wrote down. Like I declare 100 men will be, will take the black and John will be released from his vows. Like, is that really what it, what he wrote? I mean, it, it I'm not sure, you know, I, I'm not super doubting it, but um, he might've, the, the, the league, the way it was worded might matter a lot. And there might be, yeah, it's it's a little bit of a tough point to to hone in on. What was the timing? Was John was not even Lord Commander at the time of the Red Wedding, right? John's not Lord Commander till like the very end of A Storm of Swords. Yeah, it's one of the last things that happens. So yeah, it's quite a bit. It's quite a while away. Plus, not to mention the 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 the, new, the, the news. I don't think John knows about the Red Wedding when he's elected Lord Commander. Uh, I, that I didn't check, but I'm pretty sure that news of it hasn't even reached them yet. I think he knows about Brandon Ricken, but not about the Red Wedding by that point. But I'm not sure. I don't remember when he learns about it. It's just another thing I wonder if if Rob might have done. If he's declaring himself King of the North and and yeah. setting other precedents, trying to line things up for how his death might go and the who's going to be in charge of Winterfell. He's trying to keep in mind the, the, the legacy of Winterfell and the North and the Stark family. And, and given all the changes of the, the moment too, right? I wonder if he might have also included something like, the wall is no longer subject to the king of Westeros. It's subject to the king of the north. And he might have like reclaimed the wall specifically as the north, clarified that difference, you know, uh, which might give the Lord Commander of the Wall a little more leeway to release on one of their vows. So uh, mm. you know, maybe. I don't know. I'm just saying. saying yeah. Okay. I, I yeah. was thinking if he knew that John was Lord Commander of the Wall, then he might have said something like, the successor to the to Winterfell is the Lord Commander of the Wall, and not John. Just whoever the Lord Commander is, not to worry about Val's succession or. That would be very dangerous if the Lord Commander switched in the meantime. So I kind of doubt he would use that wording. But yeah, that is interesting to think about, like little verbal tricks he might use. Right, let's talk about what's going on in the neck. Uh, Galbert Glover and Mage Mormont are there. Uh, they're the only two who know the will's contents that aren't prisoners or dead, besides who they may have told, and of course, besides that one Maester, I suppose. From their POV, it probably went something like this. Part with Rob, head for Seaguard with Lord Jason, spend a day or three, maybe a week getting the two longships ready, get whatever supplies they would need, head off to the Neck, and then eventually they'd be found by the Kranigmen and then brought to Greywater Watch, Hal and Reed, and then they left separately, but I imagine they've reconvened by now. I mean, it's been such a long time. So again, 
this is why let's, let's let's look at it from their perspective why they haven't emerged yet the phrase and the Kranigman are enemies no one denigrates them more than big and little walter they talk about all the things they do they have moss growing into their arms they breathe water all the superstitious tales told about Kranigman are repeated a lot at the twins because they're neighbors and they don't like each other <laughs> and the neck is pretty unique and uh, check out our episode on the neck and the Kranigman, by the way obviously the main intent was to prepare to attack Moat Kalen, but that's gone now. They would have learned about the Red Wedding and canceled those plans. So what of these many factors is holding them back? This next section is called Where There's a Will, There's a Wait, because they're clearly waiting or unable to do what they want. Now, they almost certainly told Howland about the will. Howland is someone Rob said his father trusted. That's a inner circle type person you can trust and it's his castle. They, they're going to need to rely on him to make their next steps. So he, the question is going to be what he tells them, what he knows, whether he's going to spill what he knows. Uh, for example, we can't predict what undead Catelyn's going to say or do with these things. We're certainly going to bring her up. Or what undead John will do. It's a similar thing here because when you die your personality changes from what we've seen it, it's you're not the same person only with a scar or two <laughs> and some <laughs> bad skin <laughs> it's we don't know howland at all like forget undead or not we just never met the guy we, we have a pretty high degree of confidence that he's an honorable guy because of ned thought so highly of him i mean that seems like a pretty safe assumption but that doesn't mean he's not willing to be a little underhanded, be a little cunning. We don't know what kind of supernatural understanding he has. And we're also looking at things right after the Red Wedding. They would have learned about it pretty quickly. They're right next to the neck. Howland probably has his spies, you know, checking in. They would, word spread. They would have been one of the first ones to know. Still, he's perhaps the most important figure in all of this other than John himself because he has such a unique slice of the knowledge pie here which is that he knows John's true parentage that's the one of the bigger wild cards in general though it's arguably not that relevant here right he knows John has is not Rob's brother he's his cousin but he's still a stark you know, Ned raised him, you know, Howland's going to know that John's probably a decent guy. So probably doesn't change anything. It might, in fact, make things worse if he revealed the truth. And he may have sworn not to reveal the truth. That's a, a big possibility that Ned promised not to tell and hasn't. <laughs> he wouldn't even tell Catelyn. So if Howland Reed knows, which he almost certainly does, he probably took a similar vow to Ned to never tell because Ned promise never to tell and he would probably want his friend to do the same and howland under the circumstances would almost certainly make that promise like his sister's dying there's this child there's all this conflict and danger like yeah there's a chance that's even part of why ned never told it because howland warned him not to right if howland has some vision of the future yeah we don't want to get too we're, we're trying to focus now on like what we know and avoid potential fantastic stuff but it's at least worth mentioning that Helen has a potential fantastic element, which might include some vision of the future yes. and John's importance. And it, if he gets discovered and killed by Robert or whatever else. So then anyway, point is it makes a lot of sense that he hasn't yeah. knows and hasn't told anyone, but we might be approaching a time when he would tell someone. The circumstances might dictate him either breaking the vow or there may have been a, 
a re- yeah, something may cause him to be like, okay, this is the vision I saw. Now is the time to tell the world. Yeah. Yeah. Now, personally, I don't think Alan Reed has any supernatural means at his disposal, but I'm totally open to it. It's just, there's been no demonstration of it. We haven't met the character. There's, it's, it's kind of, it'd be a little random to do it less than with a lot of other characters. Cause he's definitely associated with it. Like he understood his son's dream and immediately said, son, go, you know, you and Mira go to Bran, right? He, he has at least enough knowledge to, to have interpreted that dream in a very clear-sighted way, unusually clear-sighted. I don't think, I think a lot of people have just been like, oh, that was just a dream, you know, but on the other hand, Jojen's had green dreams that come true before. So he probably, his father's like, okay, you, you've proven that your dreams come true from time to time. So this is a pretty big deal. And he's apparently the only person we know of that actually got to go to the Isle of Faces we, from right before the tournament at Heron Hall, which is like, yeah, that also argues maybe he's got a little mystical connection. Not that he can actively do supernatural things. And besides that, just if he, even if he does have supernatural things, it doesn't mean he has this particular ability to predict the future or to know that his children are alive or that, you know, there's a lot of magic isn't yeah. a cure-all here, even if he, and he may not have it. So we got to be very careful with that. So I'm very open to it, but I'm going to mostly stick to what we can be pretty sure of or, or very sure of while remaining very open to these other things. So now <clears throat> he might know that Brandon and Rickon are alive. Here's why. Uh, and what, what a twist that would be for Galbart and Mage. But let's first go through the evidence. So he, 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 he might not, but if he does, it's probably because of one of two reasons. Remember that time? In a storm of swords, where Bran and Osha and Mira and Jojen and Hodor and Summit. Well, I guess Osha's not there. Um, yeah, Osha's off with Rickon. So it's Bran, Mira, Jojen, Hodor, and Summer. They meet that hill clan lord in the mountains. He gives them some oat cakes. He's got the, the clasp that reveals him as a member of House Little. And let's hear this excellent passage here. Quote Little took out a knife and whittled a stick. There was a Stark in Winterfell, a maiden girl could walk the King's Road in her name day gown and still go unmolested. And travelers could find fire, bread, and salt at many an inn and hold fast. But the nights are colder now, and doors are closed. There's squids in the wolfwood, and flayed men ride the king's road asking after strangers. The reeds exchanged a look. Flayed men? said Jojen. The bastard's boys, aye. He was dead, but now he's not. And paying good silver for wolfskins, a man hears, and maybe gold for word of certain other walking dead. He looked at Bran when he said that. And it's summer, stretched out beside him. <laughs> yeah, he knows who they are. Now, Rickon isn't with them, but the the little, it's just a simple question of, okay, if those two kids that Theon burned, if Bran wasn't one of them, the other one probably isn't Rickon either. So he pretty easily put two and two together and expect that both of them are alive. And they mention where they're headed. They say they're headed to the wall. So the little knows where they're going. So who did he tell? Did he tell? Does he Is he in contact with Hall and Reed at all? Is there any way for him to get that message to them? Because that is who he might want to tell. He would reckon he would know who those are. He'd know those are the Reeds. And if he wants to work with them or, you know, he knows Howland Reed has a reputation as being loyal to Ned Stark, being a guy that Ned Stark trusted. You can see why someone like this little would. That's not like a secret. He's like, well, this is Ned Stark's trusted companion. So I should get in contact with him. But again, maybe he, it's, it's not an easy thing to contact them. <laughs> people in the neck and you know he's got his own problems to deal with uh, most likely and 
he maybe just didn't get involved. I don't know. We don't know what he knows and whether he told, but it's worth considering. This is, again, veering a little bit out of Rob's will territory into Great Northern Conspiracy territory. What do the various lords know and what are they going to do to restore the Starks? What are they are they using Stannis? How are they going to attack the Boltons? Who's in contact with who? All this wraps into Rob's will as well. We see the North rally behind Stannis because they want to rescue Ned's little girl, right? That's a big deal to them. They want to revenge themselves on the Boltons. They want to kick out the phrase. Stannis is a very much an ally of convenience. He is doing the same things they want to do. But there's no real hint that these Northern Lords working with uh, against Stannis or with Stannis for the Boltons, there's no indication they know that Brandon and Rickon are alive. I mean, how would we know? Like, we're not in their heads. There's, they're not going to tell Asha. Asha's our POV for all that stuff. <laughs> She's not going to get told that, right? <laughs> so it's entirely possible the little just kept that news to himself or spread it to his clansmen. I, I, it's, it's, I kind of feel like it's important. And then he may have, if, if he told anyone outside of his family, I feel like the Howland Reed's not unlikely. He would have to be very careful because it's dangerous information to put out there, right? Like he just said, Hey, people are looking for him, offering a gold reward. So he would, he could only tell someone he super trusted, I think. Yeah, I tend to agree. And that's why I think of Howland Reed because it's like, well, who could this, this Hill clan Lord trust? And, Someone with a reputation like that's maybe maybe the only option there is, you know, I mean, because again, Wyman Manderley looked stout, but then he looked from a distance. He looked like he turned. So I don't know if they would go talk to him. Besides, it's it's hard to have like a secret audience at White Harbor to, in order for Wyman to pull off a secret audience with Davos. He had to have a fake one first <laughs> he had to throw a whole fake audience. And then it's like, actually, bro, I didn't mean any of that. <laughs> we just needed to so many people here. Like we can't just you can't just walk into the city and be unknown. Yeah, we had to do, go through all these hoop jumping just to keep things on the down low anyone's gonna know that walking into a big city like white harbor is like well i'm gonna get noticed like you gotta be really careful with that so and he's of course really concerned with his own children too it's not just brandon rickton and the restoration of the north he obviously wants to know about where his kids are and he knows they were last at, at winterfell with, when it was sacked so if he wasn't told by the little or through the telephone game, maybe the little told someone and that someone told him. If he doesn't know, there's one other clue. It's not 100% certain, but it's pretty strong. And it comes when Roos is returning north. After the Red Wedding, Ramsay brings Theon to moat Kaelin to coax the Ironborn defenders out under false pretenses. Then he flays them, of course. Once this is done, Roos brings his army up the causeway without resistance. Well, without Ironborn resistance, because remember what Roos was doing. He was very cautious in the neck. He wrote, he, he had a decoy writing in his, in his, uh, litter and he was wearing like plain clothes and hiding in a separate litter. Cause he didn't want to get Cranog sniped by poison arrows. And he has a lot of reason to think they're going to come for him. <laughs> if the Cranogmen know that he's actually responsible, his son's responsible for the destruction of Winterfell, then he's obviously the big enemy and they know he's responsible for the red wedding. So he's that regardless. Roos isn't just randomly worried about the Cranigman. He knows that they're against him. He knows that Howland's Reed was a Stark loyalist, Eddard Stark's close friend. That was common. Again, that's common knowledge. He knows what he just did to Rob, so he knows he's earned a sniping. <laughs> but he wouldn't have had to worry about a sniping if he had Mira and Jojen as hostages. Why didn't he take them as hostages? Ramsay claimed Big and Little Walder as hostages before burning Winterfell. But as readers know, he couldn't have taken them as hostages because they escaped. <laughs> they hid in the crypts. There were, they were not available to be captured as hostages. But he would have. You don't lightly kill noble hostages when their parents 
control things that matter to you when they have power. Like this is this is just an easy case of keep them hostage too to make Hal and Reed behave. Like super easy choice. But so Hal and Reed would be wondering about that. He'd be like, hmm, they don't have my children as hostages. Interesting. Why is that? Either he already knows the truth. He may already know the truth that they're alive, but this might be if he wasn't contacted by the little or someone else to be told, this would be very curious for him. He'd be like, huh, interesting. And he would also maybe learn about the fake Ari and all this other stuff. And he would kind of put two and two together like, ah, see what's going on here. Not to take too much away from your point, because I, I, I follow it and it all makes sense. But there is a question you ask almost rhetorically, but there is a good answer to Okay. Why would you kill them? Why not take them hostage? Well, because you might be crazy freaking Ramsey Bolton. Roos is smart enough not yeah. to do that, but Ramsey might do something crazy. Whether or not Hallen would know Ramsey's involvement or how crazy he is, that's hard to say. But I agree, except that he was smart enough to take the phrase. Ramsey's not dumb, right? He's not an idiot. He's just got rage issues and, and all sorts of... Yeah, he's not unintelligent, yeah. but he's unwise. Yeah. So he might have done something unwise. But it's still... Yeah, you're, you're right. You can't, he, like from Hallen's perspective, he can't eliminate that, but he also doesn't know Ramsey. And he, if he knows the phrase were captured and it would be weird to take the phrase hostage and not the reads, you know? So it's possible, but I think he would, you're right to point that out. I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with you. I don't want to take away from your point, but I want, what I really want to point out is that Martin does a good job of keeping things from being too clear by having people who don't behave quote unquote, like they should. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah. So, agree. Like yeah. Joffrey shouldn't have killed Ned, but he did. So, so, you know, sometimes things don't go the way the other nobles might predict based on what's wise, right? Now there's another angle here, which is that, yes, he, even if he knows they survived the sack, this little knows they survived the sack of winter. Well, that doesn't mean they're still alive. A lot has happened since then. A lot of time has passed. And, and if he told them that they're alive, the message would include last I saw they were heading for the wall, which <laughs> that's, that doesn't exactly put them out of danger. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I don't know if he knows they went beyond the wall, but if he knew that, I'd be like, Oh, great. Uh, that's even worse. But it would encourage him to send Mage Mormont to the wall with some defenses or whatever else. So. Yes, absolutely. So, yeah, I have some doubt that knowledge of Brandon Rickon's survival reached the neck. I definitely think it's possible. It would make a lot of sense for people to tell, but there's a lot of logistical and just conspiratorial reasons why it might not happen. Or may maybe it would happen later. Maybe they're waiting. We told... Like we said, there's reasons why they might be holding off. They might be waiting for the war in the North to resolve or for someone to get the upper hand playing, uh, playing the delay game in the meantime. And there's other little wrinkles that could happen. Like, let's say Mandalay gets brought into the fold here you know, before he dies or something, or maybe his son after he takes over. If Rickon is their, their top option and then he's killed, then maybe they turn to John and like, okay, now we'll go with John or maybe now, we'll, but he's undead John. <laughs> like, I don't, it's so tricky. <laughs> if Bran reemerges first, then there's that, but Bran's situation is also a little tricky because he probably can't have children of his own and he's turning into this green seer wizard thing. And who knows where that's going to go in terms of uh, what his abilities and what people will look at him and be like, is are we scared of this kid? Is Do we want him leading us or is it... Okay? I, who knows how people are going to react to Bran's powers? That's a just... Uh, obviously, that's not very much on topic today, but it is worth mentioning. <laughs> Aside from all that, would Bran want to do it? Bran, as much as John or someone else, might be yeah. like, that's not my role. I, I have this other mission. I have this vision that someone else should be it. I don't know. Abdicate. Yeah. And, and even if it was Bran or Rickon, 
they're not of age. You can't, you got to have a regent situation. You can't have, they're not calling the shots, right? You're not, Bran or Rickon are not calling the banners and summoning the armies. You know, that's, that's not what a four-year-old, eight-year-old, nine-year-old does. Like that would be a, a temporary thing until. You got to be at least 14 to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> you must be at least this tall to call the banners. <laughs> All right, let's take a short break here. Take care of a few questions, a little mid-roll business, and then we'll get back to describing how the North at War affects things. Then we'll move on to several other aspects of this, like the prisoners and Ned's bones and a few comparisons, things like that. A lot more to come, folks. This, this is a jam-packed episode. Super chat from Adrian Mendoza. Can you just leave the black or can you only leave by death? Is Jon Snow the oldest sibling? I've been a fan for a while now. I just want to say thanks for all you do. Thank you, Adrian. Appreciate that. Well, I know there's a lot of you out there that have never spoken up, uh, never never commented or, or said anything, but you've been listeners for a long time. We really appreciate that. You don't have to speak up to be a fan, to, pe to participate. We appreciate your presence, but we also really like it when you all speak up. So I, you cannot leave. You can only leave by death as far as we know. There are apparently, as we discussed a little bit earlier, there is precedent for leaving the Night's Watch, being let out of your vows. I can kind of guess that it was like maybe a child and they're like, well, this is it's not val it's not valid for a child to take vows or something like that. But again, we have no idea what those circumstances were. You know what I, I you know, I cannot but wonder if it was like if the person who sent you to the wall was was deemed invalid as a ruler or something. Mm, you know, like, let's say like okay. the Lord that sent you to the wall and you took the vows and then he was deemed Ill illegitimate or like something. Like your crimes were not, you didn't commit crime. You like, didn't actually commit a crime because like, I, I don't know, there's maybe a situation like mm. that that I could see too. Okay. Like if we're trying to like stretch and see when this could have happened. Yeah, because we wouldn't be imagining these scenarios if we weren't told that they had happened. Like I wouldn't have thought this scenario existed at all if it weren't for Rob saying there's precedent for it. I'm like, oh really? Well, what is it? I wouldn't have guessed it. So so yeah, we're we're forced to guess because yeah, like if, that's if, all we have. <laughs> if Roos was was Lord of the North for a while, oh, right? And yeah, he yeah. sent someone to the wall, someone could then be like, Well, he wasn't the real Lord of, of the North. He wasn't yeah. the real he wasn't a Stark. He had no right to send him to the wall. And the person he sent to the wall didn't commit this crime he was accused of. Like, we have both those things combined. Yeah. It still might not be enough. Like a it vow might, might just be, be that strong. Like you said yeah. it to the old gods, like it doesn't matter if it's under fall. I mean, I, I'm not sure, but that could be the argument against this point. <laughs> it was someone who said it to the seven. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I always said it to the seven. It was no big deal. <laughs> we know they're not real. <laughs> but if you said it in front of the heart tree, oh boy, no, yeah, no, 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 too late, bro. You, I see you a question here from Herb Thompson. Was it the precedent Rob was talking about? Was it, wasn't it Barristan being kicked out? Do you think there's any way, the way he worded it, that he just meant like vow, like we've seen people. Yeah. Yeah, we've seen he did you're right like sean brought that up he mentioned yeah. uh, he didn't just mention barris he mentioned boris blunt because at that yeah. point boris blunt had been kicked out also of course he was brought back in because tywin was like we're not trying to trample all these mm -hmm. all the, even though boris wants a terrible kingsguard he's like we're not trying to break all these traditions you know <laughs> that was done for political reasons not for integrity of vowels well yeah that's it was done for political reasons yeah yeah exactly time was like oh the kingsguard is this noble institution we must protect this nah, that's not why he's doing it but but he was against them putting Sandor Clegane in it. He's like, "What did you? Why did you do that? Like, you didn't need that. Was completely unnecessary. <laughs> like, he can do the same things he does without the white cloak. Like, why? That was dumb. You know, like Tywin was just at wit's end for their decisions. Anyway, oh, I have a, someone gave an interesting other alternative option for this. Yeah. If a rebel regent sent someone to the wall, for instance, and they gave the example of like Rhaenyra and Aegon in the Dance of the Dragons. Mm. If if Rhaenyra sent someone to the wall, would Aegon have maybe been like, no, that wasn't valid." 
Interesting. Yeah. Especially if it was like one of his lords. Yeah. Like one of something he cared about. Yeah. Or, or the other way around. That's a great possibility. I mean, I don't, there is no, we don't know of that happening during yeah. the dance, but that's a good, you know. Example of when we could see there being contention ab about this. Yeah. That's a very good point. When you, when it's not clear who the king is, like when you have two different popes, like yeah. Pope, a papal schism and they're both just like poping at each other. Like <laughs> you're, you're, you're not going to heaven. No, you're not going to heaven. <laughs> like you're, all your followers aren't going to heaven. Like, all your followers aren't going to heaven. Like, we're stretching for potential examples, but yeah, along that line, what if Joffrey had sent someone to the wall and entire winter Cersei was like, no, 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 no. And again, what if, what if Joffrey had sent I, a Mormont to the wall and Lord Commander Mormont was like, wait, what, who sent you here? A boy? And writes a letter to Tywin and Tywin was like, no, 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 sorry about that. Dior. That would be another one, by the way. That would probably be one where the, the vows never happened. Or, or if people are like, wait, Joffrey was never Ro Robert's son. Yeah. So why is his decrees valid? Like, that could be another way out of any, and all of Joffrey's decrees could be declared invalid because he was never, yeah, never really Robert's son. Or you know, whatever. and that, this might be reasons why the details, examples weren't elaborated on because they would have been complicated. And so either Rob or Caitlin wouldn't oh, have yeah, known yeah. or understood it fully, or George hadn't made it. It would have been too much exposition. Anyway, yeah. I, the more we talk, it, the more I could see reasons right. it might happen, and the more I can understand why George didn't give all the reasons. Yes. Also, thanks to Miss Vita for the heart sticker super chat. And Dornish Dame says, this kind of goes back a bit to what we were talking about during the Fire and Blood Valeritas with Aegon, because he was also conquering and flying around in Balerion without an heir. He didn't have... A child of his body at all, let alone confusion of who it would be. There just wasn't anyone at all. Like, like, is it going to go to some Valarian, or is it just we'll go to go, one of his go sisters? Oh, yeah, I guess we'll go to Visenya or, or Oris. Yeah, oh, yeah, I guess Oris could have happened too. Yeah, huh. I don't know. It depends. Yeah. You think Aegon had a will? No, <laughs> I don't think he bothered. I think he was. He had a way. Confident. He had a way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fire and blood. That was his way. Yeah, Valarian. That was his way. So. Let's let's uh, talk about another one of our favorite uh, TV shows. Um, yeah, let's do that. Last week, Aziz talked a bit about the uh, Wheel of Time because if you want to sign up for Amazon Prime Video, you can find a link on our website, historyofwesteros.com. And so we thought we would talk about some of our favorite Prime Video shows. And if you've been listening to our show for a while, I think you know mine. It's The Expanse. The Expanse. If, if you've heard any number of episodes, you've probably heard me wax on about The Expanse. It's my favorite science fiction show. It's my favorite science fiction book series as well. I think it's... George loves it. George loves it. Yeah, George R. R. Martin loves it. I think it's one of the best adaptations that I've seen, um, in large part because the two authors, um, it's two authors, Daniel Abraham and Ty Frank, they are in the writer's room for the show um, adapting it. And so they're really adapting the whole series. There's six seasons out, nine books. I know what you're thinking. The sixth season has a satisfying ending, and I still do have hope that they might continue the series later because there is a big time skip. Yes. So I don't think you should look at it as uh, unfulfilling. Just if even if you look and you see that there are nine books and six seasons, I still recommend this show. Yeah, it's basically a book to per season, but with some overlap here and there. But they just book seven, eight, nine just were never really adapted. Uh, though they might be, as Shay said. Yeah, they might be. Even if they are never adapted, I still think it's a very satisfying yeah. full story. Yeah, I you. totally agree. Uh, it's. I like to say that it's not The Expanse, it's The Expanse. <laughs> I, I want to throw my hat in this also. I love The Expanse, and I think that it's a... Uh, 
I, I, I'm hesitant to call it my favorite sci-fi show because I really love Star Trek, but it's it's competing with it. And I think it's if you like sci-fi at all, you should see this and it easily could become in your top three. Uh, I, I appreciate it on a lot of levels. You know. It's number one for scientific realism in terms of like all major sci-fi productions. That's something that it gets really high acclaim for is is taking what we know about physics and space and, and applying all of that with diligence and not, and taking very few liberties with that. Very, very few, not none, but very few. <laughs> uh, like one thing they do is sound in space, which they acknowledge isn't real, but it's, for better it's, just, it's so weird to not have sound and we're just all used to it. We've all seen so many movies with sound in space. Yeah. So basically if you're not a member of Amazon prime at this point, you can sign up for Amazon prime video. You get other benefits. Um, like if you watch Aziz's Twitch streams, you can, um, get a pre a free, um, prime Twitch sub and support the podcast that way. Uh, and yeah, you can watch wheel of time. You can watch the expanse. You can watch even more shows that we're going to continue to plug as the weeks go forward. Yeah. Cause we watch a lot of shows on there. And if you do watch, especially if you haven't, let us know what you think. And, and if you read the books, let us know about that too. We love the books. The expansions yeah, are fantastic. Yeah, I love the books so much. And I'll say that the eighth book in the series is my favorite. Which Seven speaks, is mine. Yeah, and which speaks <laughs> to the fact that it just keeps getting better and better. Yeah. yeah, it was the third for a long time, but then the seventh took it over. <laughs> I watch a lot more TV and movies than I do read books. And so for what it's worth... I, without having read the books, I love the show. And I think people who did read the books and still love the show, you're getting it all the different angles you might be coming from. So, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right, let's move on. The North at War. Roos's return to the North with Stannis at the Wall, not to mention the Ironborn here and there, creates a lot more issues. Mage, Galbart, and Helen Reed have the issue of that war. Not only the distance between the Neck and the Wall, which is huge, but the fact that there's a lot of fighting and violence in between them. Manderly is pretending to be loyal, but has his subterfuge worked too well? As we pointed out a couple times, does the faction, the Neck, know what he's really doing? I'm, I'm doubtful. I think they might think he's not an option, at least not now. Later... Mandalay's going to make his play and it might come out that, oh, he is loyal. That's great. We'll team up with him after all or team up with his son if Wyman doesn't survive what's happening in Winterfell right now. And again, let me remind you all that Lord Mandalay's right-hand man is Robert Glover, Galbert's brother. So if they do have any opportunity to connect, there's an obvious connection there. There's no, Galbert and Robert aren't like one of those sets of brothers that don't trust each other or anything like that. They're, they're tied as far as we know. And, and they may have already discussed, but I'm pretty sure they haven't. So it doesn't seem in general like the Manderly faction knows about Rob's will. And many have, on the same token, using will in a different context, many have misjudged Lord Wyman's strength of will in this. Uh, he, everybody's like, oh, that fat guy's not doing anything useful. He's just a coward. You know, it's like, oh, wrong. <laughs> but that Again, that subterfuge may have worked too well because even some of his potential allies may not be aware. So let's say the NAC faction feels, due to ignorance about who is alive and other factors, that they believe it's their duty to deliver the will to John. The problems don't end with just the war, though. Uh, earlier I said, where are these hundred men going to come from? If, if that was actually the plan to trade a hundred men for John, well, we're... the wall really could use another hundred men right now. But Again, where does that where does that come from? Maybe they could come later. Yeah. Maybe it's a promise. That's the thought that I had that it might be enough that hey, here's ten men now. We'll get you over the next few weeks or months. We'll give you ninety more or whatever. I I I, I think it's reasonable that mm. 
I, I, I could think of a lot of angles here that there's a lot of different factors and that the hundred men is just one of them, right? It might not even be necessary. It might be gravy for the, yeah for the wall to get it, or they might be a little more acceptant. It might be a bargaining point. Uh, but, but I don't know if they necessarily need to give exactly 100 immediately for all this to go down, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it would be a lot nicer if they could, and it doesn't seem like they can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One, one thought I had was I wonder if they're gathering men in the neck. It would be a good place to, it's not the ideal spot to gather a host, but it's pretty darn concealed. And Rob's whole idea was to do that. He was like, we'll send three armies towards Mo Kalen, but by the time they get to Mo Kalen, there's only going to be two because one of them is going to slowly melt into the neck and come around using the secret passageways that Howland was going to provide them with. So that was important part of Rob's plan was to not, was to keep that part a secret, you know, like we don't want word of this getting out. So it's going to be on the march. People are going to vector away. So clearly you can hide men in there. You can clearly take a sizable force through there, which probably means they can find a few places to hide guys. There would be survivors from various battles that are kind of unaccounted for. Like did really everyone at the red wedding die? Did everyone at the battle before in front of Winterfell between Lord, uh, not Lord, but Sir Roderick's men and Ramsay's men when they, you know, did that sneak attack on them right when Theon was using Beth Cassell as a hostage. Like that was two, Cassell had 2,000 men or yeah, had 2,000 men there. I don't think Ramsay killed them all. It had to be a few that got away, right? And and there's men at Winterfell right now that that Lady Dustin points out. There's like, there's men here right now that are mad about the Red Wedding. <laughs> They're like, they know. You know, they, the phrase and Boltons are right here. They're, they can't make a move, but they would want to. So some of those guys may not be at Winterfell. They may have found out where the loyalists are hanging out and gone to hang out with them. The reason to do this not only is to take the North or do that, but it's to, you need to, soldiers to enforce John's claim. If they're like, okay, this would explain a lot. They're, they're hanging out in the neck. They haven't delivered the will. We have a good reason why, but we can't expect that they're just sitting there doing nothing. The way to enforce the will would be to gather men, to have enough power to enforce that claim. It doesn't mean it's possible. It doesn't mean that they can do it, but I think that's the thing they would want to be doing. They would want to be gathering enough power to enforce Rob's will. What else would they be doing? I, I mean, giving up, you know, waiting, just wait to see who wins and then bend the knee to them. That doesn't sound very Northern. It doesn't sound like the kind of men that would have been Rob's right-hand men and, and women in, in Mage's case, right? It doesn't really, I don't think that works, especially because they're, they have, they all have personal grievances here too, not just killing Rob, but Mage Mormont lost her daughter, right? Daisy was killed there, like at the Red Wedding. This is a lot of, I don't think they're giving up. <laughs> it's going to take a lot for that. So I think that's entirely possible. But the problem, and the other problem with waiting is winter. Like how much can you wait before winter is just overwhelming the whole North? Like it's a really weird tightrope walk to like, well, we want to get rid of the Boltons, but like, but maybe Stannis will win. But what if winter just overwhelms them both? And ah, yeah, what do they do? How many soldiers approximately did Rob have at at the twins? Uh, I've that's a good question. I think it was ten thousand. It was it was it was he had deplete. It was he was very depleted from where he started, but that was partly because his army had split. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I think it was around ten thousand. It might be a little less. Say it was only five thousand, and only ten percent of them escaped. That's five hundred. That's a good start point. That's a lot. You're right. They're totally right. Yeah. So only a few people had to get away. I mean, yeah, it's pretty hard to imagine that every single one of them was slaughtered. Uh, even if they got 98%, that's still a few dozen. And those few dozen might know where to get a few more. 
especially after telling everybody what happened. I was going to say that that's a, whatever your start point is, you're going to probably snowball a little bit yeah. from there, right? Like as you, as word spreads and you get back home and you find other allies and you rally troops. And if you, the bigger that number is, the better, yeah. right? Like if you have like 12 guys and like, hey, let's start up an army. Like, all right, we got four more, right? But if you have 500, there are people a lot more likely to join. And when you have 500, even if you're adding 14 year olds and 70 year olds, that can be hidden in the numbers, right? Yeah. How many men are in the Brotherhood Without Banners? Oh, we don't know. Probably only a few hundred. Yeah, I, I was wondering if it was a few score, and they're making a significant difference, right? So, true. Yeah, that's very true. So, Alisanne Mormont, another Mormont, <laughs> tells Asha when asked that Mage is with two of her daughters, but doesn't say where. And that might just be, you know, oh yeah, just to passing comment she's not gonna again she's not gonna tell asha <laughs> Greyjoy where but <laughs> where her mom's hiding like oh yeah by the way she know she's in the neck working on a secret plan to restore rob stark's uh line to the north yeah well it's, it's fine if i tell you that it doesn't matter you know <laughs> so what alisanne says to asha isn't exactly trustworthy in terms of what's really happening because she's not going to trust asha with any kind of secret but you may not know alisanne may not know what's going on in the neck she does know that her mother probably isn't with her two daughters right now, though, because those two daughters are probably back at Bear Island. And uh, Mage is probably in the neck, not with those two daughters. So just a little interesting point. And Asha is the one who took Galbart Glover's castle. <laughs> so that's another, it's like, she's definitely the enemy. <laughs> so yeah, uh, but, it, but the point is that family enters in the picture for both Galbart and Mage, the two main unencumbered, uncaptured, undead, not people with knowledge of Rob's will, apart from how and read who they probably told. Galbart would, you know, wouldn't, couldn't act against the Ironborn at first because they took his family hostage. Asha sent his daughters or his kids and wife back to the Iron, to the Iron Islands. They're hostage there. So he can take action against Stannis or Bolton, but he can't take action against the Ironborn. And Mage's daughter, like I said, Daisy, she was killed at the Red Wedding. And she was one of Rob's personal guards. So they were very tight with Rob. Like the, the Mormonts really believed in his cause. And that probably isn't past tense. They really believe in his cause still, I would think. And we should always point out, like we said, there's, there's people that have yet to rise that could be willing to rise that are waiting for their moment. They need a Stark to bear the crown or for someone to lead, to take the lead for them to follow. They're not going to just jump out and be like, I'm ready. Who do I follow? Who do I, how do I... Who do I kill to help restore <laughs> the Starks, right? They're waiting for leadership, for someone to, to get the edge. Again, uh, let me point to how hardcore they are about the Ned's daughter, right? You know, I want to bathe in blo Bolton blood before I die. They're very hardcore about this. Lady Dustin said about how the Boltons were failing in their deception because of how Ramsay was treating Jane Poole. Here's the quote. Dressing her in gray and white serves no good if the girl is left to sob. The Freys may not care, but the Northmen, they fear the dread for it, but they love the Starks. Yeah. Just because various factions want a Stark restoration, not all factions agree on who that will be. This, this is definitely veering into Stark succession crisis territory. But John is an adult male, but he's a bastard. He's a brother in the Night's Watch. That's tricky. Sansa is almost an adult, but... The, her marriage situation is, is dynamic. At first it was Tyrion. Now it might be changing to marry Aerie the heir or something like that. And by the time that happens, a lot of other things will change. Arya is out there, but no one really knows it. Uh, she has the Stark look. So she can kind of prove it. 
And of course she has, she could, she could potentially marry someone too to gain a marriage alliance. It doesn't seem that likely, but I mean, that's there for, it's on there. It's Would she though? <laughs> yeah, probably not. Yeah, I don't think so. Arya's probably not getting married. If she does, it probably won't be until the end of the series. But no, I don't think Arya's getting married at all. That's just, yeah, I don't think so. And and as we said before, Rick and Bran have problems with them too. Just the biggest of which is they're too young. We're looking at a long-term regency, which means someone else has to be given that power to to rule as regent in the meantime. And who would that be? Yeah, that's something you just now made me think of. It, that, that might be another thing Brand, uh, Brand, Rob would include in a wheel. He might he might go through several contingencies. Like if for whatever reason John can't do it, then it's going to be Sansa, but only if she's not married to a Lannister. And if she can't do it, then it'll be Bran. But if it's Bran, then this person will be the regent, whoever he might have chosen, which is... Maybe a whole other question we should be asking. Who would Rob choose as the regent? Yeah, who knows? Yeah, because, well, he wouldn't necessarily designate one because it wouldn't be like, it would be time sensitive. It would like, the person he, he would suggest might not be alive by the time the will is executed because he put a list. I don't know that they would, he would just declare, you know, maybe some stipulations for who this would be without being specific. Like, it needs to be somebody from the North. It needs to be somebody of this or that, but maybe not naming names might be as interesting to think about who George would name as the regent more so than Rob, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Now, something that often gets lost in the shuffle about Rob's kingdom is that it's not just the kingdom of the North. It's the kingdom of the North and rivers that, that often gets forgotten. It's a new kingdom that likes of which has never been seen before. There's never been a kingdom of the North and rivers. There's been a kingdom of the North. There's been a kingdom of the river. There's been lots of kingdoms of the rivers really. But this is the first time they've been combined into one political body. So it's important to note that the people at River Run probably don't know who Rob named, but they might. And here's why. Because he didn't just he he didn't just start thinking about it on the road after leaving River Run. He when he signs the will, he says, I've thought long and hard about who should succeed me. And he, when he's talking to Catlin, he's clearly thought about it a while. He's talking to his mom, he's clearly got all these arguments ready. He's, he's got his plan pretty much taken care of. He just wants her to sign off on. He wants her to agree to it. He presents her with basically a full plan. And so it's pretty likely he'd already decided on John before he left River Run. So the person he might have told is Blackfish. Because Blackfish was not at the Red Wedding. Blackfish was not on this trip. He was left behind to, guard, to be the warden of the Southern Marches. His most capable commander there to guard the borders while they're going back to the north to take the twins. It's Blackfish's job is to hold everything together while he's gone. So he might have told Blackfish because Blackfish is his, one of his most trusted confidants. Like the Blackfish, it was his basically his plan, the, the Battle of the Whispering Wood and his execution, you know. So if there's anyone who's his right man, right hand man, it's probably him other than maybe Great John. Those are probably the two most, the guys he trusts the most, right? So if Blackfish knows. There's another vector here. First of all, Blackfish escaped from River Run after the siege. So he knows. And once he's out in the world, any number of people he could tell. The Brother Without Banners. Of course, <laughs> Lady Stoneheart's already in charge of the Brother Without Banners. And she may have already told. But that's less likely because she's not a big fan of Jon Snow. And she was dead for several days. And it might not be on her. I don't know. There's a plenty of reasons why Stoneheart didn't tell the brother without banners about Rob's will. But if Blackfish enters the picture, then it's going to come up most likely. But there's two other members here that matter as well. Before the castle is surrendered, right, they know it's going to happen. They've decided to surrender the castle. Edmure talks to Jamie, gets him to surrender. Then they do that thing and Blackfish escapes under at night under they raise the bridge. He swims away, right? So he had an opportunity. If he knows Rob's will, 
he has an opportunity to tell people before he leaves, if he hadn't already. And the two two of the people he might have told are Sir Desmond Grell, River Run's elderly master of arms, and Sir Robin Riger, their elderly captain of the guards. They're elderly because they had been appointed in Hoster Tully's time, most likely, and it still held their positions, and Hoster had just passed. So they're going to take the black. In response to the castle being surrendered, they're like, okay, we take the black. We're older guys. We're Our service is done. We want to retire with honor. But if they know Rob's will, they've got an easy way to get to the wall and tell him without anybody knowing they have that secret. Problem is, they haven't shown up either. Gal just like Galbar, Glover, and Mage Mormon, we haven't seen them since. Now, it's a little different because this happened much later. Galbar, Glover, and Mage Mormont go into the neck prior to the Red Wedding. This moment of surrendering River Run, obviously that's much later, right? That's Feast for Crows, right? And there's... Uh, less time for them to have reached the wall by now. So it's possible they're still en route, right? That Or they they go to Eastwatch first, and then they'd have to make their way to Castle... Perhaps they're not assigned to Castle Black. They're stuck at Eastwatch. They don't get to go to Castle Black. But either way, by the time they get there, John's already dead. So that's... <laughs> what are they going to do about that? And maybe, but then by the time he's resurrected, they might still be in the picture. Anyway, they're, they're a possibility, but only a possibility because it's entirely possible they don't know what's going on here. They don't necessarily know the secret. But we should absolutely consider that they are a potential... Vector. I've used the word vector in this episode more than I've used them in all like like five years of <laughs> or all the entire run of this podcast. Hard to know how it would matter, but it's possible that by the time they get there, John has died and come back. Yeah, it's true. I feel like John's going to be dead for a while, but I don't know that for sure. You know, like the whole ice cells thing and the storage of bodies and yeah, like in the show, it's not slow but it definitely isn't right away either and i think it'll be longer in the books and i don't want to use the show as a guide there at all but just it's still even in the show it wasn't quick let's put it that way uh so definitely possible that grell and riger will show up at, at castle black that's another possibility now there's another thing about blackfish we should mention when blackfish and jamie have their parlay jamie brings up Jon snow and blackfish indicates he's not a fan he's like oh that guy catlin didn't trust him my my niece didn't trust him at all and jamie's like oh okay and but Rob Stark, Blackfish's king, was a huge fan of Jon Snow. Was really, is he really going to take Catelyn's word over Rob's here? Maybe. I, I feel like he'd more be in the middle, if anything. But I think more he would trust Jon because of Rob. He was, he was really close with Rob. And I think he would understand. And he would know Catelyn's biases, too. Exactly. He would perceive Cat's bias. It's pretty straightforward why she would be biased. And so probably he just doesn't want Jamie to think of Jon as a threat, right? He's probably down. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Especially if he knows he's Rob's heir. Right? That's like a double, triple whammy, perhaps. So that is the idea that he's downplaying John to keep Lannister eyes off of him. Which, but it also could just be he's looking out for John. He's like, I don't need any attention being drawn. He doesn't necessarily know he's the heir, but he's like, well, I don't need Jamie going after Jon Snow. He's, he's got nothing to do with this. He's still a Stark, like all, he's on his side, right? And Blackfish has a lot of reasons to not trust Jamie. Like, even if he feels like, Yes. Even if even if he also doesn't like John Stark, say he holds the same grudge against Ned that Caitlin does or whatever, right? Yeah. Still, he's done this honorable thing and gone to the wall. I don't want Jamie Lannister messing with him. I, I could still see he's got all sorts of yeah. reasons to distract Jamie from John. And let's not forget that even though she has no knowledge of any of this, Cersei was planning to send men to the wall to kill John. Yeah. <laughs> Remember, she wanted to send Osney Kettleblack or one of the Kettleblacks up there to, to murder John. Of course, that plan was curtailed by the Kettleblack being all the Kettleblacks are screwed right now through working with Cersei. So, yeah, uh, he's the one that's set to face literally. The huh? <laughs> literally. Yeah, literally. Hey, oh, so here's another wrinkle. 
the Blackfish, regarding the Blackfish's escape from Riverrun and his potential knowledge, whether his knowledge includes the will at first or later, it's going to be relevant to this part, which is the prologue to the Winds of Winter. We're told that Jane Poole is in it. Not that she's necessarily the POV character, but she's in it, which might mean we see either an attempt or a successful prison break of Jane Poole and Edmure, because this is the, the prison train that's taking them to Casterly Rock, right? Remember, Jay, well, remember what Jamie does? He's like, take 100 men. Wait, double it. Wait, double it again. <laughs> He's so... He wants really wants to make sure that no one prison breaks Ed Muir and Jane or Jane uh, to before they get there. So, of course, once they get to Castle Rock, good luck getting them out. Right. So. If they're busted out of captivity, it's got to be Blackfish and or Stoneheart doing this ambush, pulling this off. Like maybe they have help, but they're almost certainly the, the leaders either together or 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 not that would do this. And then. Blackfish could learn about the will either from rescuing Edmure, who would tell him, or from potentially from Stoneheart. And Stoneheart also happens to have Rob's crown, which could come and matter a little bit. But as we said, she might not be interested in supporting John, but that she may not get her way there. And yeah, uh, she's also kind of busy looking for Arya in the Riverlands because she knows Arya is alive. And as much as we want to question how John's thought processes and personality might change from being dead. Catelyn's even more so. It looks like, you know, she sat in the water for days before being resurrected. And she seems definitely more changed than I, I might guess John will be. But it's still a good model for what might happen, right? And the more she changes, he changes, that the more his decision might not be follow the, the expected path that we, that we would uh, judge based on his personality. I think that there's a, a thought out there that Caitlyn is sort of stuck in the moment that she died, right? Just hell-bent on revenge and it mm -hmm. maybe you could say the same for barrack too right he was in this yes right so maybe the same will be for john he'll still just be stuck we got to stop the others he'll be single-minded about that and even being single-minded about that we talk about this later on doesn't mean he can't become lord of winterfell right that might be the way to stop the others so anyway right he might believe that's the best way to fulfill his duty. But you're right. Let's hold that thought for a moment. We're still talking about some of these prisoners. Rob's most ardent and loud supporter, the great John, right? That's another. We said he's the other right-hand man, arguably. He was kept prisoner at the Twins as a hostage because of his uncles and other kin. They wanted to keep them at bay. He, like many others, would like to get some revenge, not just for his king, but for the small, his son, his heir. His heir was murdered at the Red Wedding, the small John. So... We know Edmure is being transferred as a possibility of a prison break there, but the same thing could happen here because Jamie ordered the twins, ordered the phrase to send their prisoners to King's Landing. So that includes the Great John. This hasn't been executed yet as far as we know, but if they obey that order, which I guess they will at some point, then the Great John will be in some prison train. And we know for a fact that the Brotherhood is all over Jamie's business right now. I mean, they just literally led him into an ambush <laughs> to, with Brienne and, uh, and Lady Stoneheart there. So they're very well aware of what he's doing. So if any prison train is on the march, they're going to know that. They're going to know and they're going to want to break him out of jail. And that's another potential vector for Rob's will to reach a lot of other names or a lot of other personalities, a lot of other important people. The phrase may not have the same instinct that Jamie did either to like double it, uh, double it again. Yeah. Right. When they send the prisoners away and yeah. they might even Walter Frey might even be, I don't know how to say this purposefully spiteful. We might be like, well, if we're losing these prisoners, eh, yeah. I don't care. I don't care if they get, the, yeah, that's know, a good point. Send 12 guards, 
you know, I could see that for sure. It might be too much to hope that the old band gets back together, but we could see a scenario where Blackfish, Great John, and some Brother Without Banner members, maybe even with Stoneheart with them, going north to make King John Stark or King of the North to restore the kingdom. You know, we've got an Aegon the Unworthy, an Aegon the Unlikely. Why not an Aegon the Undead? <laughs> And maybe his name is, maybe his name was intended to be Aegon. You know, that would add add a little to this parallel. But no, his name is John. Let me be clear. That doesn't mean Rhaegar didn't have a plan for him to be an Aegon, though. So a lot of possibilities there. Now, at last, John himself. Let's talk about him. He is the most important person here, obviously, because against John's will or Rob's will, we have John's will. What does he want? I, I don't mean his will and testament. I mean his agency, his ability to choose what he wants which is mostly going to be about what he thinks is best for the North. Sean, really good point about him being single-minded after his death. That's entirely possible. If his goal is defeat the others, then yeah. What is his duty? What does the call of duty say to him? Is it, I kept my vow. I'm the Lord Commander of the Night's Watch. This is how I'm going to fight the others. Or does he think to himself, if I'm King of the North, that gives me a way more power to stop the others. I got a lot more people under my command, a lot more authority. That gives me more ability to stop the others. Maybe to him, it's not about vows and honor, something he learned from Corrin Halfhand, right? Very important lesson. Corrin Halfhand taught him that your honor does not come first. Your service to the realm comes first. Your honor is on the list, but it's farther down. Do not put your honor first, because a lot of people do that. It's like in the Night's Watch, you got to be willing to sacrifice your honor if it serves the realm. And that's what Corrin did. He, you know, Corrin and John, John had to join the wildlings and, and all that stuff. So John is, that's a tough lesson. That's something I've thought about a lot of times too. I've brought this up a few times, how the, uh, the House Tully words are family duty honor. And it's not just these like noble ideals. No, 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 no. It's family first. Duty second, honor last. It's it's not just family duty honor. It's family duty honor in this order. Yes, and it, you could kind of see that in how her her actions versus Ned's. Ned's was Ned was much more caught up in honor, whereas Caitlin's much more caught up in family. And yeah. uh, and and maybe even still at this moment, Caitlin is you know, Lady Stoneheart is more caught up in avenging her family, and she's not worried about her honor. Mm -hmm. She's not worried about. You know, morality or kindness or do what it right yeah her duty is to avenge her family maybe and yeah. so it, it may be again that john you know he may not put family first he might think of the night's watch as family or maybe even if he's putting family first taking charge of winterfell might be the way to serve his family best to, but honor is going to come last it, that again i think you pointed out that that's a lesson he's learning through the course of this that he might have to take this personal hit to his honor to do what's right. To abandon his vows to the Night Watch and take Winterfell. But once he does, then he can do what his vow was. It's protect the realms of men. It's the same reason he wants to bring the wildlings south. Even though everyone else in the Night's Watch is against it. He's like, wait, yes. that is what is behind our vows in the first place. That's the point of them. Is to protect all these people. And that's what I'm trying to do. Yes. And you guys might not agree with the details of how I'm doing it. But it is what we're supposed to be doing. And he might, I think, once again upset people with the details of how he's doing it, but fundamentally be trying to do the right thing. Right on. Yeah. Well said, Sean. Good said. So we pointed out earlier that he can't choose to decline the legitimization as far as we know, but he can decline being released from his vows, maybe. And in that, we can't decline it. He can just retake them. Maybe. Uh, I, I think he probably can. But setting that aside uh, for the moment, even if all the obstacles are cleared, even if John is released from his vows, legitimized and offered the crown, and somehow has enough support to, to keep it, 
or to make good on that claim. Yeah, what about his death? I doubt he's going to look like a walking horror like Stoneheart did, but he might look different. Uh, that might be a little bit of a problem for some people that he looks like kind of terrifying, maybe. I don't know. There might be signs that he was dead, in other words, which would make it a little more tricky uh, for people to follow him. But people still followed Barrick, and he looked like a nightmare. So maybe that won't matter too much. Put a helmet on, you know, just keep it. <laughs> but I'm also wondering about this from a legal question, right? You're supposed to lose titles when you die. <laughs> but John has given them after coming back or while he's dead or... I'm not sure, but can you do that? Again, we have no precedent here. It's just, it's really going to come down to what people decide because there's no precedent for it. I think the, the force of will and power and soldiers will make this determination more so than some lock, some legal studies, you know? Uh, but we've long talked about how the vows are very specific. My, my watch begins, it shall not end until my death. That's a very specific line. It shall not end until my death. That's, that's pretty clearly says ends upon my death, doesn't it? So if John is dead and he's lying there for quite a while, there's no doubt he was dead. I'm like, well, maybe he wasn't dead. He was just very badly wounded. That's not dead. It's like, no, he was there for a month or two months or three months in cold storage. That's dead. Yeah, that's dead. You can't really argue that. You can doubt that it really happened if you hear about it. But if you're there, <laughs> you're like, you know, he, bro, he was dead. <laughs> he was, we had him in an ice locker. <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty substantial. That's pretty uh, definitive. So like we said, it may, if that's a way about his vows, does that remove him from the line of succession? I don't think he would use that argument unless he just wanted to find a legal way out in order to allow his actually not dead brothers or sisters to take the crown instead of him. He could be like, hey, this doesn't count because I'm dead. <laughs> it might be an interesting legal argument to use. So this should pass over me. It should pass to them. It's a good way to like follow the law without you know, doing any, playing too many tricks or playing one trick, I guess. And he might be motivated to do that if he thinks staying at the wall is the way that's best for him to fight the others. Like let someone else take care of Winterfell. Right. And especially if that will rally the North, especially if they'll send me troops up here, or if it will let me stay where I think I need to be. That's a reason he might take that angle. So. Right. Yeah. And that's a, that's a really important distinction. The point being is there's a way for him to accept it. There's a way for him maybe to get out of it one way or the other. Uh, but it really comes down to what he thinks is best. I mean, there's other circumstances, but I think John will probably not care about the other circumstances, meaning like, oh, I can't because there's this giant army stopping me. I think he's like, well, I got to do what I got to do. Like, I got to find some find a way to overcome this army. He's like, he's not going to pass because because it's undoable. He'll pass because he thinks it's wrong, because it doesn't apply to his duty, because he thinks it's maybe because of other members of his family for considerations then, but he won't not, he's not going to pass because he's afraid <laughs> or something like that. He's like, no, I'm not doing that. That's not really Jon Snow. Jon Snow is going to, going to face it with bravery. going to do what he's doing. But that's also a chance, like setting the legality aside. If they hear he's dead, like the people, different people that are trying to arrange things to make this will happen, to make, to make Rob's claim or to make Jon's claim good, to gather men, to deliver the news. Well, if they hear he's dead, are they going to bother? they're going to be like, oh, well, now what do we do now? Now we have to get behind Sansa or just accept Bruce Bolton? Ugh. You know, like, I don't know what they'll do, but it's possible they'll just have no other choice and be like, yeah, well, we wanted to fight for a Stark, but there isn't one. Or there is one and it's a masquerade. It's this Arya that they think, well, we got no choice now. That's the one Stark that's there even. So, yeah, the cold... The cold extends things a bit as far as the length John could be dead, which just makes this a little bit harder to figure. There can only be one person 
that can be lord or lady or king or queen in the north and for someone to get that someone else has to be maybe pushed aside now i don't think anyone thinks that the starks are going to go to war with each other but people may go to war with each other on their behalf like littlefinger may fight the, the manderleys or the other starks or some other northerners to, in order to push santa's claim i don't know that the Vale is going to go up against the Boltons like in the show. I very seriously doubt that. Uh, so maybe they're going up against Stannis instead, or they have to agree with Stannis or ally with him. And maybe then he dies and everything changes from there. But that's obviously very tricky and and hard to predict because of too many moving parts, too many moving Starks. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the timing matters. Like when will John find out Rickon and Bran is alive? Well, maybe Rickon will die before that. Maybe then that still leaves Bran. Maybe Arya reemerges before the will does. Uh, yeah, these are the kind of things that we can't really address. We just have to say, well, wait and see about that part. But we can point them out so we know that they're one of the many questions we have. Real quick, I, I wanted to point out one other factor. Uh, it's, a, it's a minor piece in this big puzzle, but that 100 men that Rob is ostensibly going to promise the wall in exchange for John. Yeah. And we're wondering, well, how is that come about? John taking charge of the North might make sure that comes about, right? If he goes to Winterfell, he, he might be more motivated than anyone to make sure that 100 men gets to the wall, whether it's immediate or down the road. So just one other factor that might motivate him or might make the wall willing to let him go because they trust that he will get him those hundred men yeah he will not forget about the watch that's a good point like we can be very sure of that just as just as we can be sure he won't go run off and hide he will not forget about the because if he takes winterfell like we said it's because he thinks it's the best way to stop the others it's the, he thinks rallying the north it's more important to do that than his lord being lord commander he might give the wall ten thousand men <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> he would certainly want to Ned's bones. Lady Dustin tells Theon that she's got watchers, watchers on the neck, waiting around the border, spying for any signs of Ned's bones, which she intends to feed to her dogs. For the same reason, we're wondering where Galbart and Mage and a few others are. Indeed, where are the bones? They, they hanging out with the, there's like this group of loyalists. And we, yeah, we got the crown. We got the banner. We got the will. We got the bones. <laughs> we just... We need a few more things and then it's time, go time, you know? So they were sent quite a while ago. A lot of moving Stark parts. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> I think he's aware though. Maybe Howland is, is he, his, his people are sneakier. Everybody says that, even the, the phrase who denigrate the mud men, as they call them, are respect their ability to be sneaky, right? Like, oh, you'll never see them. They could be right here watching us right now. This is what he says, <laughs> you know, like looking behind him like he's all like like paranoid about it you know like oh is that foreshadowing <laughs> maybe <laughs> yeah it could be it could be so they may have detected they may have like counterintelligence noticed these suspicious people watching them and they are like okay those are spies and, and we're going to be careful about that also they just have other ways in and out of the neck probably than the causeway which is probably where a lot of this watching is happening but probably not all of it so there's the obvious, though. There's another reason why they haven't delivered Ned's bones. How are they going to do it? Where are they going to put them? In the Stark crypts that's currently held by Ramsay Bolton? Like, like, hey, knock, knock, let us in. Let's, uh, we got, we got some bones to deliver. Uh, let alone the fact that the snows are like, well, I don't know, deep enough for Theon and Sansa to survive jumping off the wall. <laughs> so, like, uh, there's, there's very normal reasons why this delay would have happened. So yeah, Winterfell was burned at the end of A Clash of Kings. So the bones 
hadn't made it by then, which is still a little peculiar. Ned died, you know, it was well before the end of Game of Thrones. I mean, it wasn't like halfway through, but it was like there's still a good a third of the book left after Ned Ned dies, or maybe a quarter of the book. So where you know Catelyn like sees them at River Run, they've already gotten that far. She she has a moment with them. So I don't know. They're probably the bones and the will are together. I guess. <laughs> you know, just just this episode, I think all the people that complain about how long it's taken George to write the next book, listen to this episode. <laughs> Look at all the stuff George's got to deal with, man. This <laughs> is the one little piece of the puzzle has all these dangling ends to deal with. Yeah. So even though the Ned's bones are not the will, they're not looking for that. They're not specifically looking for the will. They're looking for these bones or some sign of it. They're still looking for like stark loyalists. And if they're like, oh, that person, these people, they might look like these, are, these might be the people with the bones. Like Mage Mormont. Like, can you imagine? Like, they would notice, like, that's a large Bear Island woman there. Like, that's a distinct looking person. I mean, big hooded cloaks can work wonders for disguising you. But still, you know, like, there's ways to be noticed or this to get caught somehow. And everything, but of course, everything Lady Dustin tells Theon is suspect, right? I believe this story. I do, because she really does have reason to hate Ned. But on the other hand, she wants she knows that everything Theon hears from her is probably gonna get back to Roos, and she wants to make sure Roos believes her loyal. And there's nothing says I hate the Starks like a story like this. <laughs> like, oh, I, I expended resources to get this guy's bones. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, and it's not like she's what what could be she be concealing here other than that she's not really fully on Roos's side, which we already know that anyway. <laughs> so anyway there's a few other examples of documents wills or otherwise that are worth a mention for comparison the bones aren't a document they're just kind of wrapped up in this because of the same path and the same weird delay and the same reason they might be missing but in the sworn sword we get another example of a will a couple of y'all pointed this out as i said at the beginning of this episode i put out posts in all over our social media asking y'all to give us questions and this is this is one that came up the will of Rohan Weber's father, Lord Wyman, states she has to marry within two years of his death or else it goes to her cousin Wendell. It's very, very specific. It's a good example, Sean, of what you're saying about a stipulation, like a something that has to be done in order for the will to be carried out, which shows that this will has power, that it, it's expected that people will enforce this, where that's an issue for Rob's will, whether it can actually be enforced. But the Sworn Sword was a time of relative peace and legal documents are expected to play out the way they're intended because there's no, there's not this level of chaos that would throw things off, but still it's pretty interesting. Like she had to marry or else lose her lands. It's like, well, she's going to marry because she doesn't want to lose those lands, but she's got to be careful with who she chooses. And two years is a reasonable amount of time too. You get to go through a few seasons, something that might've held you up. You, 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 yeah. And, and, and that's something also that it didn't occur to me that some of Rob's will might've had timestamp stipulations. Like we'll give the wall a hundred men, by the end of the year or something like that. Right on, right on. So here's another one. Robert's will. One of the first early plot points of the entire series. It's in a Song of Ice and Fire kind of lead-in thing. And it's a loaded parallel to this topic. First of all, Rob is named for Robert Baratheon. And I love that it's Rob Baratheon, if you were to look at it like a modern way of writing a name with his initial be Rob B for Rob Baratheon, which is... Rob Stark is two Bs, so it's like the same <laughs> name. John for John Aaron, of course. So Robert and John Aaron, both killed by drinks, made to look like a different cause, right? <laughs> uh, both Rob, like when it looked like, oh, he was killed by a boar. He was killed by a boar because he was drunk. He was 
killed by a drink, but it was made to look like he died of, yeah. <laughs> so both Rob and Jon Snow were murdered by their allies, by people who were supposed to be on their side. Robert's will was made by Ned to prevent Cersei's children from inheriting. Her little Lannister children have passed off as bastards, but they uh, uh, are not bastards, but they are rather. Rob's will was made to prevent Sansa's Lannister children from inheriting, and he believes John is his brother and illegitimate when he's not. So it's kind of an inverse. <laughs> he likely is legitimate, but he's not Rob's cousin. He's his, or not Rob's brother. He's his cousin, and he may not even really be a Stark, but a Targ. But whatever. That's still he's still he's got the blood. So that's that's a why not both? Yeah, why not both? Yeah, and then finally another document that isn't a parallel, but is playing out at the same time. And is another one that people have just debated and argued just so much in the fandom. And that's the pink letter. Named after Sean, of course. The best letter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> his last name is Pink, y'all. Sean Pink is his name. You may not have known that. Now They thought he was Sean Beard. Sean Beard. Yeah. <laughs> Sean <of House> Beard. <laughs> so it's not directly related, right? But it is related. It's, it's overlapping the idea of John leading campaigns and doing non-Night's Watch stuff. Like, John's like, yeah, I gotta, because of the pink letter, and he was doing John Stark st type stuff, not John Snow, not John Lord Commander type stuff. He's even recognized it as that. He's like, I'm not gonna order anyone to follow me because this isn't really Night's Watch business. He pretty much said it, right? Uh, and that's obviously a tie into the Boltons. The Boltons are a big reason why some of these other things can't happen like that's probably the bones are probably why the will hasn't been delivered to john that's probably why the bones haven't made it through the neck it's it's why stannis is doing what he's doing so john announced that thing and it led to the stabbing which could have a huge impact on the will the fact that he's dead as we've explained is a huge wrinkle for a number of reasons logistically legally and the fact that the will is hard to enforce in the first place yeah would galbart and mage even want a walking dead as their king like just the, the just the idea of that is like uh, you know like i don't know is can we have this like rob trusted him but he didn't trust him dead he didn't trust the animated corpse version of him like catlin will vouch for it's like yeah i don't like this guy <laughs> Like, or she's with me. Callum might like him more when she sees him. Uh, <laughs> you get me. You get me. <laughs> she's like, she got something in common now, actually. You get me. Yeah, yeah. We get each other now. Like, you know, but those might be reasons for people to cover up the fact that he was dead, which might not be that hard. Uh, and, uh, yeah. you know, some of these people showing up with the, with the will or knowledge of it or whatever, they, they might be suspicious at first but see that John is still coherent and trustworthy or whatever. And, but because of their own concerns might know they need to help cover it up so that other people don't have these concerns, you know? Yeah. And I began, I want I think I said this already, but I want to repeat the person I think most likely to use the John is an eligible argument in a way to benefit their cause would be Littlefinger. But other than that, I'm not sure that they would use that argument. They might just be uncomfortable with it. They might be like, ah, we don't want to give it to a dead guy, but I don't know if they would use that legal argument, but they might. Anyway, another possibility here, another thought is that it's not going to work in terms of consider the chaos that's happening at the watch right at the end of Dance of Dragons. John is stabbed. One one's going crazy. The the free folk are fired up because John has just given them that rousing speech that's got them banging on the tables and like ready to follow him to go south and rescue his, his sister and take Winterfell back from the Boltons. It's this big to do. So they're all, they're all ready, 
right? And then John is stabbed and you've got the, the conspirators that are like trying, probably trying not to get killed. And you've got Stannis's men who are obviously going to be upset about what just happened to Sir Patrick of King's Mountain, who was killed by one one. It would have been such a extra funny way to like make this thing even more confusing to be like, and right as this is happening, like some, some people show up <laughs> with a document. How to read and Mage Mormont are here, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like John, you've got someone to see. Oh, that might still happen. Yeah. Like they will just show up a minute later. Like, but it would have been funny to also include that in the chapter. Like John sees them like, who is that? And then he gets stabbed. Like, yeah. <laughs> Oh, Hey, let me, we need a minute of your time. Lord. He's like, hold on. Howland Reed. What's the, what are these guys? I want stab, stab, stab. You know, like, Oh <laughs> crap. <laughs> Howland's like, Oh my God, what timing. Uh, that would be wild. <laughs> so it's entirely probable that Rob's will isn't carried out the way he fully intended. In fact, it's likely it's not going to go the way he intended. In fact, his will might get ignored kind of the way Robert's will did in some ways, maybe not ignored, but not fulfilled. But that doesn't mean it won't have a huge impact. It's already having a huge impact. How it affects the plot does not hinge on whether it's fully carried out, right? I think the the decisions these characters will have, the conflict in their hearts over what's right, what their duty is, that's what this will does. That's what, the, what it creates. That's its place in the story not how it affects the plot but how it affects the characters involved right that's i think is at least if not more important yeah to me at least is not so much what happens next is how do people how do people feel about what's happening next how do people behave in the midst of everything that's happening to me that's the more interesting thing and i think that's how the will will be more impactful than the details of what it says or how it gets executed is it how everyone feels and behaves about it yeah Totally right. Good said. So it's hard for me to imagine that it's not massively important because of this, whether it's because the will names the next king or because it doesn't just because of these other factors. It doesn't that's not required for it to be massively important. And it touches on something that Jojen says to the little in that scene in the cave, which I think is a good way to end our episode today. Quote. The wolves will come again, said Jojen solemnly. And how would you be knowing, boy? I dreamed it. We all know Jojen's dreams can be misinterpreted. And this one he doesn't really go into detail on. So we can't pick it apart or confirm it based on description. Maybe we just want it to be true. But it's not just wanting. The original title for the final book was going to be A Time for Wolves. And that has since changed to A Dream of Spring. Jojen is basically referring to both those ideas here. The wolves will come in spring. Or by the time of spring, the wolves will have come again and be re-established, re something like that. Because he dreamed it. Because he dreamed it, right? He's dreaming of a time for wolves. A dream of spring. He's dreaming of, yeah, it's a dream of a time for wolves. Yeah. <laughs> the title change is believed to be because it was a little spoilery. Like, it kind of gives things away. But it, it, we kind of knew that anyway, I think. And wolves like spring. Hey, they're not all about winter. Winter's wolves kind of sounds cool. It's a good song by the sword, by the way. But wolves like spring, you know, they got those thick manes, but they're they're cool with with some warm weather. Maybe not too warm. Like they don't want hot weather. They don't want to be in the tropics. But, you know, I think we do expect a Stark to be in charge of Winterfell at the end. That's what I mean by, yeah, a time for wolves is it's not really that spoilery. It probably won't be John. Probably won't be Rickon. Probably won't be Arya. Probably Sansa, maybe Bran. Uh, and I doubt all the dire wolves will die off. So there will be some real wolves as well as the metaphorical Stark wolves. So Joja's dream will probably be right one way or another. The wolves will return. Thus, even though Rob's will is unlikely to result in a direct 
lasting change, even though the man he named probably won't be king for long or at all. Ultimately, what Rob was trying to do with his will was to ensure that House Stark continues. And in that, his will be done. <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> so let's have our trivia answer and the rest of our outro stuff. The answer was, or the question was, who has Rob's crown? Lady Stoneheart. She Lots was... of people got it. Cool. Lots of people also debated, well, is she a person? <laughs> <laughs> good one, good what one. Is, is she a person? A former, which former person has yeah. Rob's crown? Was... Which entity has? <laughs> which <No>. entity? <laughs> which being? <Yeah. laughs> Whose hands was it last in? That doesn't say person at all, right? So that was, of course, the merit epilogue. That's when we're introduced to Lady Stoneheart for the first time. She's like holding onto it. It's like very powerful moment. So I'm not surprised that a good number of y'all got that. Uh, this episode was voted on by patrons and you can join the voting uh, by signing up to be a patron. And Sean's got a selection of patron names here to read out. Yeah. Another thing you get to do as a patron is get a cool name. You can make up your own. And if you don't want to, or if you're just curious, we'll make it for you. And here are some examples. You could give us a little bit of your name and get them augmented too. Yeah. So here are some examples. We've got Kaboth the Unfrozen, Lord of the Bricks and Castles, Crimson Light, Defender of the Old Gods and Wardens of the North. That's a pretty impressive. <laughs> he is in, in, in real life. He is involved in the brick trade. So that is part of why he's Lord of the And bricks. I'm sure you've met Kabath. Yeah, you've how, met him at, yeah. At Ice and Fire Con. Uh, he goes times. to Ice and Fire. That one in his next mm -hmm. couple are some of our older uh, patrons. Right on. Dana the Dreamy, Witch of the Dark Teutonic Woods. And this next one, Archmaster Nacho. Pretty simple. And the tastiest Archmaster. Yeah, I wonder if that's a Better Call Saul reference. I don't know. <laughs> and then a couple of the newer ones we've got here. Sir Devin Snow, the Wolf Tamer, Shadow of the Wolf's Wood. Lydia, Mother of Frenchies, Breaker of Chairs. <laughs> chairs and Chains. It's close. Yeah, from a distance. It's like Breaker of Chairs. No, it's Breaker of Chairs. Okay. And Dan, the Iron Banker, Koifman, we do not sue. <laughs> I like that one. <laughs> he, he told me he wanted a, something that is, to make a bank that was truly unique. A bank that doesn't sue is truly unusual. <laughs> 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 so well done with that one, Dan. <laughs> yeah. So thank you for being a patron. If you are uh, supporting us in other ways, we also appreciate whether you, you can also sign up to be a subscriber on Spotify. And you can also just tell people about our show. That's really valuable. One thing that I've been seeing a bit is uh, I've been browsing lately the A Song of Ice and Fire and pure A Song of Ice and Fire and House of the Dragon subreddits quite a bit. And if you are a user of those, that's a great way to uh, name drop. If you want to spread the word about History of Westeros, you can certainly uh, throw our that's name out there. That's a great point, actually, because Reddit is very indexed by Google. So it's actually a really great um, promotional tool. Oh, okay. Um, so yeah, actually, yeah. actually, if you happen to be ever talking about stuff, name drop us. That's a great call. Thanks. Yeah, we would really appreciate that because yeah, name, just name recognition means a lot and, you know, liking and subscribing, all those things matter, but word of mouth, I think is more powerful than anything. That's just my guess. I don't have data to back that up. Who would, who, how could I, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but I, I believe it's really powerful from my own experience. The way I listen to podcasts or choose books and movies is almost always on recommendations. Occasionally it's something like, of course, I'm going to watch Wheel of Time. Wheel of Time. I've read I, the books already. Yeah. I don't need to be recommended that. Of course, I'm going to watch like anything. To... Why did you read those books? Because it was a recommendation. Yes. A friend <laughs> was like, read this book. You're, you're, you're right to bring that up because I read the Wheel of Time on a recommendation. I read A Song of Ice and Fire on a recommendation. In fact, from the same person that recommended Wheel of Time. <laughs> and yeah, so you, you can 
establish yourself as someone who makes good recommendations <laughs> by recommending a song of ice and fire and if they're already a fan then recommend us to expand their song of ice and fire enjoyment that's the goal of my life is to, for people to come to me for media recommendations <laughs> <laughs> it is really it I is really i think it's true of you sean i think it's true of me both me as well yeah I we have i think we have succeeded it's something to be said for being yeah you, i would be proud of that too if someone thinks of me as a good person for recommendations yeah i would be proud of that yeah yeah, and, you, and you're right. You guys both do have people that come to you for recommendations. I'm, I think of you as people that are entertainment mavens. You got to watch a lot of stuff. You got to take a lot of recommendations, you know? So, yeah. yeah. Like, That's I don't true. know. I don't follow movies much at all. But, Sean, you're always, like, on top of Best Picture and things like that. And That's that really true. Yeah. Me. If I need a movie recommendation, I'm more likely to talk to Sean over anything for sure, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so... So we'll be back. We don't have a new episode scheduled for next week, but we'll be back in two weeks with another voted on episode. So again, if you want to join up, you can get involved in the voting. And a couple episodes that are relevant to this one that you might want to listen to to keep yourself immersed. Only a couple. You mentioned the neck. Only a couple this time. <laughs> neck and Kranigman, that episode we did a while back, maybe two years ago-ish. That one gets really deep into Kranig stuff. No, that was a, during our World of Ice and Fire run where we did a lot of real world comparisons too. So we talk about how floating castles are even possible and how that's not just some made up thing that George did. He may have expanded on it, exaggerated a little bit, but it's, it is a real thing. Although I do want to point out that my take on it is that they just move the cap. They change where the capital is. It's like a rotating position mm -hmm. and not necessarily, uh, yeah. even if the castle could idea. move, you know, a hundred yards from one place to another, they might just decide, all right, for the next four years, this castle, for the next six months, this castle, they might just change, which would be, I don't know, relatively safe, spread the wealth, spread the power. You know? Yeah. Of course, our a lot of our northern episodes are relevant. We've done episodes on the history of the Boltons. We've talked quite a bit about a lot of other regions in the north and about Winterfell and about what's going on at the Wall. Of course, our Valar Rita series for the books itself is pretty relevant, especially the stuff around John's chapters, but also uh, Sansa's and things going forward. And of course, uh, we did an episode where we discussed the Winds of Winter prologue, the idea that Jane Poole and, and who, who could be the POV in that one. and And all the relevant stuff there. So that's part of our T-Wow series. So check that out if you're so inclined. And thanks to anyone who supports us. Thanks to Nina for her amazing notes. Thanks to our helpers with our maps. That's Michael Clarfeld. He, well, not helper, he made them. And thanks to uh, Joey Townsend for our theme music. Thanks to uh, Michael Clarfeld again. I want to thank him twice, right? Yeah. He's so, he did our intro, our video intro as well. A not great just vector the there. Yeah, a great <laughs> Sorry, Julie said their, their tea went cold waiting for Aziz to say Vector again. She was trying to play a drinking game and you didn't say it. So I wanted to make sure she could get another drink in. Yeah, drink your tea. Vector, 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 Vector. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I wanted to include in this episode uh, that I didn't think we had time for, I'll give it I'll give it two minutes because this, is, this went a little faster than I thought. I was worried this would be like a three-hour episode, which would be fine. But I wanted to make a real-world comparison to the death of Alexander the Great because... He also died without a will and he had just recently conquered all this stuff. So it was not established. He did not have a clear heir. One of his heirs was a child. So there was going to be a, a, a fight over who was regent for that child. And I mean a child, I mean like a baby. So this, we're talking about a very long regency period. But what did the dude do when he was on his deathbed? Because he didn't just die all of a sudden. He was on, he actually had a deathbed. He was dying slowly of, it's, it's unclear, but maybe poison, probably. I forget uh, what disease, what he probably died of. Anyway, it doesn't matter. They're like, who should lead us? Who should lead us? And he's like, 
And he's like, wait, what did you say? It sounded kind of like he said Craterus, which was one of his top generals, but it kind of sounded he said Cratisto, which means the strongest. <laughs> so he's like, I want you to fight over it. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> like, what a what a what a dick move, right? <laughs> and uh I mean the dude was only 32, so they didn't really expect him to be dying anytime soon. And he wasn't he was still campaigning and leading from the front, though, like like a crazy person. Uh, never, rarely has there been someone so talented yet so insane. <laughs> so, <laughs> <great. laughs> so it's really, it did kick off like 25, no more, more than 25 years of war on and off the, the successor, the battles of the successors called the Diadakoi or I've always thought if I ever did another podcast, like a history, history podcast, I would, this would be the period time period I would work on. But, uh, cause I know it, I probably know, I probably know it better than any other. I feel the need to point out, you, you know, better than me. So I apologize if this is a little naive, but not only so talented and so crazy and also so lucky, like he was born into this mobilized oh, yeah. army, you know? So yeah. <laughs> His father re had reinvented Greek armies, like how they fought and, and had already, annihilated the southern greece with that reformed army and it the persians couldn't handle it he's like oh you're dead i take over and yeah i get to rule this army from that it's like yeah genghis khan like is often compared to alexander but genghis khan started as a poor i mean he was a chief he was, he was the son of a born chieftain. in the dirt like he really came from yeah, nothing. his yeah. father was a chieftain but he was chieftain of like a tiny tribe and he was a younger son and yeah, like he killed his own brother for stealing fish from him because that was such a big deal anyway. Like, <laughs> damn. <laughs> yeah. Now, Alexander and his brothers, like there were some some murders within that family, too. But it was when they were adults and, and power was already at stake. But they weren't worried about someone stealing fish from them. Right. <laughs> they were, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they were wealthy and powerful already. No, it wasn't over little things like that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah. So very different, very different comparisons there. So maybe someday I'll go into a little more detail there, but uh, fun stuff. I like to talk. I, lo I love real history. I love comparing it to A Song of Ice and Fire. But for now, we'll say goodbye and you know what to do until next time. Valar, re -reduce.